Welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship, and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we have our second installment of a look into series, this time taking a look into Vancouver FC. But before we get too into it, make sure to follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Coast to Coast FC, and on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, so you know exactly when we upload. So yeah, we've got a bumper show for you today, as Felipe said, looking into Vancouver FC, and he himself has been out and conducted some excellent interviews with key members of the Vancouver FC staff for us. Um, we're getting a real the real experiences they've had of creating an expansion side from scratch. I mean, Felipe, you've had the chance to be there on game day um throughout this season at times um what was it like you i mean you've create you've had your impression of what it what it was like for them um from a personal stand view but what's it like hearing it from their side and how did it match up maybe yeah no i gave i think great insights you know even as a journalist when you're on the ground you get a certain kind of look and you get to maybe hear a little bit of what the fans think and a little bit about what back office thinks and so it kind of forms your own perspective on it but going a bit deeper into some of the people that we're talking to so like we talked to stephanie wood who is the backroom staff head of marketing at vancouver fc she gave a bit more insights about what it really was to build a you know a whole club from the ground up mm-hmm. uh, obviously talking with afshin it was nice to hear about sort of the journey, the story that brought him here that maybe wasn't evident at the beginning. And it kind of made more sense of why he took on the project and things. So these conversations with with all these different people, as well as with even Zach, that, that more deep fan connection that maybe I didn't get as much chance to see since I was always with, you know, the players and the coach and the media room and stuff like that. It was nice to get a broader perspective on what it was like in that first year at Vancouver FC, not just from my own perspective, but from a more holistic view. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking we're going to start right away talking with Callum Irving. He was the first signing of Vancouver FC and he is uh, a a lovely human being. I love chatting to him every time. So let's start and go ahead first into the conversation with the captain and first signing of Vancouver FC, Callum Irving. Well, today we are here with Callum Irving of Vancouver FC, the first signing and captain. Callum, how are you doing? Great. How are you? Doing very well. I just want to first congratulate you on finishing your first season with Vancouver FC. And uh, I'm going to ask you a a couple of questions talking about your experience, your first year at the club. Starting off with, what was your first impression of the club itself, you know, one that was still being formed when you arrived at Vancouver FC. My first impression was, uh, it felt like me. Like it just felt like when I saw the logo, when I saw the name, when I saw the branding, I just thought I want to play for this club. Like it just, you know, Vancouver FC, I grew up in Vancouver um all the branding was really slick and everything and 
I knew the people involved in it and it just, yeah, I was just, you know, until something is actually comes to fruition, you know, this, you know, the, we are Vancouver 2023 before they actually came up with the name and all that stuff. It's kind of, you know, a general thing. You're not sure exactly how it's going to look or, or, or what it's going to feel like. Um, but soon as they revealed everything and I spoke with uh, everybody, um, I was, I felt, uh, enamored by it and like it was something I wanted to be a part of and then on the first day when I when I showed up it just it felt even more right you know meeting some of the people at the open trials and kind of seeing the Vancouver FC gear for the first time kind of on, on some people and you know the club coming together it was it was exciting and obviously at uh, the beginning like you mentioned it's just it's hard to kind of see when things are are still being formed until you're actually there how are the first few weeks of your experience there, you know, especially now that you had a couple of players coming in, doing some training with the, with, with the coaches and the players? How was those first few weeks for you? It was exciting. It was fun. Um, and it just made me really want to get started with the season um, and kind of, you know, get the full team together, get everybody together and just start, you know, trying to win games, trying to win points. Um, you know, preseason is a necessary evil, uh, I think for all, uh, professional players. And so, you know, those, those, those first days, even before the preseason began, you know, it's, um, it's exciting and, and, and you want to get down to work. And then after a few weeks, you're kind of just looking to start the season and get going. And how did your experience at Pacific sort of help yourself and the team out in getting settled and prepared before that first game and that the week or two prior? I think, you know, any team definitely leans on the experience that they have within the group um, when it comes down to, you know, big moments. Um, for us, that first game was a really big moment, not just for us, but for the ownership and especially for the fans. Um, they've been waiting for a CPL team for a number of years in the lower mainland. And so, you know, that was a, that was a really big moment and we knew it. And, um, you know, definitely I played in some big games myself, uh, with Pacific and, um, had been at that stadium before, was very familiar with the surroundings. So for me, it felt, uh, very comfortable. Um, and I just tried to, you know, kind of feed that onto the rest of the team, you know, just saying this isn't too big of a moment, not too big of an occasion, um, it's just a stadium like any other stadium, a game like any other game. We need to go out there and try and get the three points. Um, and I think in our first ever performance as a club uh, within the league, I think we came out feeling very proud, you know, disappointed about the, the result, but very proud. And I mean, it didn't take you very long to then get your first win away from home at York United. How was that experience for you? What did that feel like? For you as the captain, knowing everything that's gone into the, the club and the few weeks that you've been there, knowing that it's, again, a brand new team. How was that for you? It was huge. It was a big, big relief, big release. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, second game of the regular season. So I think, you know, we didn't have to wait all that long to get those first three points. But ultimately, mm. it still felt like forever because we went through a nearly three-month preseason uh, to get to that point. And, uh, you know, we, we just, we just, we, we just knew how, how important it was to get that off our backs and to kind of just get that win early on. So we weren't thinking about it so much. Cause I think, you know, in those first few games and maybe in our last preseason games, 
um, there was a bit of stress creeping in in terms of, you know, we, we want to try and get some results, right? We lost to Pacific and then we lost in the Canadian Championship, unfortunately, right after that. And so, um, you know, it can start weighing on you that, 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 that expectation. So for us to get that out of the way in that game was, was massive and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. But after that game, it was sort of a little bit back to reality for you and your team. How did you sort of ride that wave of those negative results, seeing the goals kind of go in quite a bit for yourself, both on a personal level and as the captain of the team? I think we definitely struggled. Um, I think there's no doubt about it that, um, you know, despite our best efforts, uh, we struggled through that period, Um, you know, despite trying to train through it you know, have meetings as player groups with the team as a whole, you know, we, we, we kind of tried everything. And um, sometimes it's just football is difficult and you just can't turn things around. Right. Um, and so we definitely struggled, but I think for me as a, the captain of the team, my main focus was to just try and show guys that regardless of the results, your daily habits don't change. Um, You have to still show up at the same time. You still have to take care of yourself outside of the pitch. You still have to train really hard and you still have to come into every game working hard so that you can have a chance at winning. Um, And so, you know, that's what I try to do personally to try and help the group. Um, It's just setting an example and then um, hoping that, you know, uh, people can follow suit. And also at times I needed inspiration as well. And that's when uh, you lean on your teammates. So, um, yeah, glad we ended up getting through it near the end there. And you mentioned there about daily habits and the day-to-day stuff. How did training go and evolve throughout the season from the beginning during those rougher periods in the middle of the season and then towards the end? Yeah, definitely at the beginning, I think, uh, there was a lot to be, uh, learned from a lot of guys in terms of what your daily training habits should be. Um, and it's not anybody's fault necessarily. We had a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. Um, and maybe somebody just didn't come from the best environment the year prior. Um, you know, it's always uh, people can carry baggage from previous teams and from previous experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it was, you know, breaking some habits for some people and then also having guys learn what it means to be a professional. And I think the main part about it is uh, we have a really good group of guys that are genuinely good people. Um, and so when you have that as a baseline, there's always room for growth. And I think we saw that, um, throughout the year, because by the end of the season, our training was immensely better. Um, we were just playing at a very high level in training, competing with one another, but also doing it in a way where we weren't getting petty. We weren't, uh, getting too frustrated with one another. We weren't fighting. Um, we were kind of towing that line of competitiveness. And so, uh, yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest areas of improvement, I would say. And you had a big period of transition in the middle of the season with many players leaving the club and many players entering the club, players like Mickey, Renan, Alejandro. Did you see that as the turning point in the season for your team where you saw the kind of seriousness that these players that you brought in kind of come with and, and kind of inflict in the team? And, and how did that kind of, shape the rest of the season for you guys yeah it was definitely a big point for our team um you know bringing guys in like that that um can kind of just set an example without even having to say much you know you you watch somebody like ran on work and these young guys all of a sudden were spending more time in the gym 
and paying attention to what he was doing and thinking this guy's 37. He's been in Syria and yet he still is in here and he's still doing his thing and he still trains hard every single day. It's, uh, it's impressive. And we needed guys like that. Um, we needed more of that naturally. And that's what the club did. It's, uh, it's great for me as a, as a leader within the team to have that kind of support as well. Um, you know, we have some great guys in the locker room prior to that, but I think uh, the more that you can get that kind of have an idea of what it means to be a professional, the better. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful to the efforts those guys put in and the willingness they, they had to come to a team like ours that maybe wasn't in the best position at that point, but come in with the right attitude and try and make a difference. So, um, yeah, that was uh, those guys were big, big um, additions for sure. And towards the end of the season, we saw a huge improvement from the side starting to pick up quite a few wins, especially at the end. What changed towards the end of that season in that period that allowed the team to start picking up those better results? I think we, we really embraced the fact that um, as a professional, you just have to get on with your job. Um, regardless of the adversity that you're facing personally as a team, um, things that are out of your control are out of your control. Um, and so you know, in earlier in the season, I think maybe we let some things affect us a bit more than they should have. Um, and ultimately that led to some poor results. Um, but luckily, like I said, there's, it's a really good group of guys who are willing to learn and want to buy in and be a part of the process to making this team successful. And so by the end of the season, guys were fully on board with the idea of um, get on with it, you know regardless of if you're playing, not playing, playing well, not playing well, scoring, not scoring, making mistakes, you know, whatever. It was just, let's keep going. Let's keep trying to win. There are people who support us regardless of the results. And we owe it to them to try and, you know, um, kick on for the rest of the season and and pick up as many wins as possible. And um, I think you saw that in our play, we had a lot of uh, comebacks. Um, we had a lot of late winners and that just shows the resilience uh, within the group. And um, that was something that was learned throughout the year because it wasn't always there. So um, yeah, I'm very proud of, of, uh, of the growth. And how much of a part did Ashton play in that, especially in the cultivation of a proper mentality that allowed you to be resilient, even if you went a goal down to be able to come back and try to get a, a draw and maybe even a win in some occasions? Yeah, I think with him, he's, He's just, he's been around so long um, and has experience in so many different scenarios that I think despite results, maybe not going the way that he would have liked, um, he stayed positive throughout and uh, he kept, you know, he kept on with his, with his daily habits, uh, kept on showing up for training and, 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 you know, presenting uh, pre-match prep and all that kind of stuff. And so um, for somebody who's been as successful as he has at the levels that he's been at, to kind of take in stride the lack of results at maybe a level that he hasn't been at before, I think just showed, um, you know, a lot and um, helped the team to kind of push through the, the tough times. And for yourself, what were the biggest lessons that you learned from this season on a, on a personal level, even at a, a level as a captain that you're hoping to build on for 2024? Um, I think one of the main things for me um and I've always tried to to live this way, but it's a lot different once you have the responsibility of being a captain is um, consistency in, you know, your demands. 
And I think uh, at times it's really easy to give in to certain things, maybe behavior, habits, uh, attitudes from people that, you know, maybe go against what you're trying to build as a club. But I think in the short term, it's easy to kind of, you know, brush it off or move on from it or, you know, try and uh, brush it under the rug. But I think the main thing for me that I learned this year was just be consistent with how you handle these things. Um, and, you know, throughout a season, people will come to respect your um, opinion and respect, you know, how you are as a person. And if they want to buy in, then they will. And so I think for me, you know, being a captain at times, I'm somebody that most of the time, you know, is friends with everybody. And I think I get along with people quite well. And I'm not somebody that likes to cause conflict or anything like that. But, uh, you know, at times this year, I had to maybe put my foot down and not accept certain certain things, whether it was in training or off the field. Um, but I think by the end of the season, it really paid off because, um, you know, the relationships that we had uh, within the locker room were quite strong. And I think that's because we tried to create a consistent environment where, you know, nobody's uh, nobody's escaping the rules. Nobody's escaping um, what has to be done. And uh, for me, that was Definitely tough at times, but a big, uh, big experience that I gained. And I'm hoping to take that into next year. And we'll have even more leaders next year that'll um, be pushing along that same path. And talking about next year as the last question here, what are you expecting from the team next year? What are you your expectations for yourself, for the team, and the way that this club is going in the direction that it's going? I'm expecting us to take a massive jump, honestly. Um, we have a really good core of very, very high quality CPL players. Um, and they're good people. They want to be successful at this club. They love playing and living in Vancouver. And so I think um, I know Rob and I know what his expectations are. And I know that he will not be satisfied with how the season went. And I know that him, Afshin, will be working on um, adding to this team and adding competition kind of everywhere. Um, cause that's what you need. If you want to be successful in this league, you need competition everywhere. Um, you can't let anybody, um, rest and think that, you know, their spots guaranteed on the weekend. So I'm looking forward to more competition entering our group. Um, and, uh, hopefully that spurs people on to perform even better. We see some of the young guys make a big jump, um, and improve even more next year. And, uh, yeah, with that being said, I think uh, the sky's the limit for us. I think um, there was a big jump when I was at Pacific from 2019 to 2020. And that had a lot to do with, um, you know, the fact that they just brought in more competition in a lot of places. And so, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that we can do something uh, even more drastic than than what they were able to accomplish. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Calum, once again, for taking time out of your day. I uh, hope you have some well-deserved holiday time <laughs> and we'll see you back in 2024. I appreciate it, Felipe. Thank you. There's a lot of really interesting points there, Felipe, that I got from, from your interview there with Callum. And I think one of the, the key things that stood out for me um, beforehand, not not mostly about him, about himself, but the... Um, talking about the squad as a whole, like the, the things that they have to go through when it's a whole bunch of new players. And he spoke about some players maybe coming with baggage and maybe we've sort of seen why some players maybe left a little earlier than others. Mm. Spoke about the bad habits that players come in with. Um, I think 
for me as a like looking out at um obviously being from England, I know that, that we've got a plethora of academies, training players in a professional environment. It's not quite that that same sort of thing. So there's a number of these players who've obviously come into day one of training with a very different attitude of right well this is normal or this I've got to do this or well, I'm quite happy with this level of effort <laughs> I guess that was maybe something that's really stood out to me that they had to deal with as a group yeah no it's it's something where I was surprised myself seeing uh Callum talk about that where maybe the standard of training wasn't there and obviously you can understand a completely new club still trying to find its identity still mm-hmm. trying to find its feet I mean, you know, we're going to uh, we've heard stories before about how there wasn't any real training facilities for them to play on. And and the little tiny change rooms were basically their offices to play out of uh, or to work out of for the coaches. So it was obviously a work in progress. But yeah, hearing about some of the habits and how some of the players were being held to professional standard, obviously with such a experienced coach like Afshin Gopi, you're going to have to be held to a pretty high standard because he's used to those high standards across mm. the world. So yeah, hearing how it's, it sort of evolved throughout the year from the beginning to where it was at the end. And especially from Callum's unique perspective as, you know, one of the players that not only is experienced in the CPL is the most senior player, but himself has learned how to train at Pacific and then mm-hmm. had, had to quickly sort of get into that role of being able to teach other players on how to train. And it's, it's funny when you think about, how quickly he had to sort of grow up in that leadership role at Vancouver FC coming from Pacific FC. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a great conversation overall, but yeah, the, the training habits were definitely some of the things that were the most insightful and just the progress in general from, uh, from the players and the way that they evolved as a team at the beginning when things were still a little bit muddled to how strong they finished together by the end of the season. Definitely. And I'm curious. Um, I know he uh, probably wouldn't want to go into details, but when he, when he said he had to put his foot down a few times in training and off the field, really curious as to <laughs> what those stories may have been, which obviously I'm sure he would, would never share. Um, but it was nice. That, and the other part that I want to ask you about, like he's brought in and he spoke about how like you asked him why this club, why did you really get um, tempted by this? And he just spoke about how everything that he heard about this club just felt like it was him. So the branding, the city, obviously growing up there, and it just made it feel like home. I guess it for me, that really stood out as a way of like, well, that's why he was the leader of this group, because they want to be a community club and you've got to have someone who has that connection go to start it off, haven't you? Yeah. And I think it was honestly an easy decision for him, the way that he speaks about it, where not only because of the personal decision, but like you said, it just embodies everything that he wants to do. I mean, for people who are ambitious in general, not even in the world of sport in general, they always want to rise up to a new challenge and a challenge like uh, completely making a new club and being not only the first you know, signing, but being that captain, being that sort of point of reference for the club, not only, you know, at the present when 
in in the first team in the first year but moving forward you're always going to be remembered as the first signing as the first captain so it's adds a lot of responsibility on him but you know even from the interview you could you could tell that he's a he's a person who who enjoys it who welcomes it and doesn't take it too seriously but takes it seriously enough that he recognizes how much of an honor responsibility is and i think that's why Afshin Gopi did a great job in making him that first signing and speaking of Afshin Gopi you know we're going to get into him in a second, but it's it, the interview you guys are going to hear right now is a very, very special one. He's going to talk about uh, the the links that led him to Vancouver FC and his own experience, unique experience, I'd say, uh, with this club and all the lessons he's learned. So here is the head coach of Vancouver FC, Afshin Gopi. Well, now we are joined by Afshin Gopi, the head coach of Vancouver FC. Afshin, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, and it's very nice to see you on this Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty chilly one for you. Obviously, you've been very busy lately. Uh, I'm hoping not to take too much time out of your day. I want to sort of ask you about your experience, your first year at the club so far, starting with how did your appointment sort of come to be i don't know if you you've explained that yet how did that those first phone calls and conversations with rob sort of go to convince you to come to canada and take this project on um rob and i've had a long relationship as uh, most people maybe have heard before the story uh, i tried to bring him to the japanese football he was playing at frankfurt i was the manager head coach of espos in the j league uh, we had built a very young and very uh, attractive and successful team in the, in the J-League. Uh, and we were looking for a number nine. We were looking for a goal scorer. So uh, Rob was recommended to me by a common friend, uh, a gentleman named Luke Berkerstein, which is a, a scout of uh, Muschengladbach in Germany. He's a Dutch fellow who's a friend of my, of my mentor in Holland. So uh, obviously when he recommends a player to me, I'm very serious in and looking at the player, and I looked at Rob, and I thought, wow, what a fantastic striker. He would win everything in the air. Uh, he was like Air Force from Canada. So Air Canada, <laughs> uh, Rob Friend. So uh, uh, it, it for, for the wrong reasons, uh, we wanted him to come to us. He wanted to come to us. Everything was done, but the coach of Frankfurt in the last moment decided that he didn't want to let Rob go. So then all of a sudden, the price of transfer window cha- uh, transfer price changed and we couldn't bring him to my team. But we stayed in contact. Uh, later on, he went to the Galaxy, which was a club I had coached before. And as he was with the LA Galaxy, I visited him. And after he retired, I followed his uh, his uh, his incredible visionary work of uh, being part of the development of the league and building Pacific. And my assistant coach... Uh, who uh, was a, a gentleman named uh, Hank Dut, who's a Dutch guy who was working for me in China. Uh, he was a former Feyenoord player and assistant to Australia. And this this story is kind of interesting. His son-in-law was Pa, coaching at Pacific. Oh, nice. So, so can you imagine that my assistant coach's son-in-law is coaching in Pacific? So every day we're talking about Pacific games, CPL, and obviously... That brought me closer to the league, and I was following the league from distance. And when I left eventually after COVID uh, China and I came back to Southern California, 
I was in contact with Rob, how he was doing. I was following his team and he mentioned to me about the project. So that's how it brought the conversation about being the coach of Vancouver FC. Uh, obviously, Rob being uh, the owner and his vision for development of football in North America. My desire to wanting to come back to North America, being close to my family, at the same time, being part of the development of a sport in a continent that I was so uh, close to. I uh, was raised in Southern California. I was uh, a kind of a byproduct of North American soccer and 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 seeing World Cup coming '94 to the to America, seeing uh, uh, MLS created, uh, developing one of the most successful academies in America in the in the late '80s into the mid '90s, uh, which was called AGSS, where a lot of my uh, a lot of top players from the United States in that generation came through that academy. Uh, John O'Brien, Peter Vainis, Joy DiGiamarino, all three Olympic players for USA. They all went on with uh, great, glorious careers. So um, I, I wanted to be part of that again. And, and the whole project of building Canadian football, seeing the growth of the sport, uh, having World Cup coming to North America again. So those are the, the reasons I joined the project. And then you add the beauty of the city of Vancouver, Mm. And and the fact that one of the most beautiful cities in 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 the world and the, the diversity of Vancouver uh, was very attractive to my wife and I and my family and uh, wanting to be part of this project and finally taking a team with no players no history and building it is is a first time life experience and I'm always the I, I always love projects that are. Uh, different, challenging, and 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 in a way, this project was very challenging. <laughs> oh yeah, I can imagine. Actually, that leads me to my next question. Which could you sort of elaborate on what were the biggest challenges for you right off the bat, as soon as you got there, or maybe in the first few weeks of of training and preseason that you can sort of uh, explain. I think uh, uh, th- I, I was asked this question. I think the best and shortest way I can answer it, uh, because otherwise I would have to speak hours about it. Um, basically, the, the not having enough time. So time was one of the, the most important factors and not enough, have enough money in our budget to to build something fast. So so you have to kind of do it from grounds up in a very organic and slow way. And we didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough uh, the resources financially because the budgets limit you. You can't really go and splash money as we've seen owners do in Premier League. They come in and splash money and take a team from bottom and bring it up really quickly. So uh, those are the two, I think, most difficult most difficult challenges we had. And obviously not having expansion draft, not having already a, a, a youth academy that 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 you build a club over, or not having a, a league one team that you kind of add players to 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 step up to the uh, the CPL uh, has made the ch- the challenge more difficult. And and when you're trying to attract players to the league or attract players to our team, uh, uh, when you don't have history, you don't have the stadium, you don't have anything, any footage, no pictures, even at, at first we didn't have a logo yet and we we're trying to build one, right? So uh, it's uh, it made it very interesting project. And uh, because of it, I think I'm a 
a, a, a wiser man and a better man for, for it and maybe even a better coach because of it. And I, I mean, for you, you've had such a illustrious managing career. How much of a stark difference or even shock was it to come to a club with all of these challenges that you just mentioned compared to the places you've come from? I mean, teams like Persopolis, you you managed the, the Iranian national team, uh, t- great teams in Japan and in China. That must have been a, a, a bit of a culture shock in a sense coming from those established teams to this one that was completely new. Well, I think what makes it very challenging is because you you have such a limited budget. Is you you have in your staffs, uh, uh, you have uh, people that have other jobs or people that uh, this is their second job that they're working for you. So some we have volunteers working for us. So uh, uh, it's 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 so different than I'm used to. Like uh, I'm talking like uh, teams in China are working with fifty to eighty million dollar budgets or euro budgets, and you're looking at uh, Paris Police has a 30 million fan base. Uh, so uh, selling selling out a stadium is not even a conversation. And and <laughs> so so there there were certain things like in Japan. One of the things that I can compare it with, I, I literally had as as many staff members on the field as players on the field. Uh, so. So when a ball is sprayed wide or out of bounds or goes over a fence, uh, it's coming back for sure. But as a manager of, uh, at this moment with my team, sometimes we're we, oh, I'm running around collecting balls, bringing balls back into the exercise. Um, we, uh, we we there there are times we we are uh, we are understaffed. We don't have enough support around the players and around the team. And these are challenges that. Um, I, I signed up for. I knew that was going to be the challenge, and I and I embraced it, and I I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying these are uh, facts that that hopefully as uh, as CPL teams get funded uh, uh, um, in a in a better way, uh, that we are able to correct and improve and trying to improve uh, trying to create a, a more professional uh, uh, environment for our players, and and that way uh, demand better performances from them in return, right? Uh, so uh, another example, we go to locker rooms that are just uh, containers and, uh, it, and and yeah, uh, locker rooms with only one bathrooms in them. I and these are not normal standards of top professional leagues. Uh, uh, and, and and I think those are, those are things we have to face and we have to deal with and we have to collectively find solutions for. And, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. but what were things that you would have wished to have done differently at the early stage of your career here at, at Vancouver FC, if anything? Well, I mean, I think something that I, I, I think Obama said it best, and I think I, I, I mean, he's one of my, uh, one of the people that I really look up to as a leader uh, and, and and such an articulate speaker. And one of the things he always said in his position as the president of the United States, he 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 could only take decisions based on information he had. So sometimes you try to delay the decision as long as you can to gather as much information so you can take a knowledgeable and intelligent decision. Um, so I wish I I uh, I had more time to gather more information 
so I could take better decisions. So in the in the at the beginning of the season where we were running out of time and we had to create a selection for our players, uh, we were rushed to sometimes only look at video images of players. And the vetting system was that we're pretty much doing online shopping. So we're selecting players based on video images that were available to us. And if anybody's done online shopping, you, you, <laughs> the fabric looks maybe a complete different color than it actually mm. is on a computer image. Or when you bring, when you buy it and it comes in a box, the fitting is completely different than it is, right? And the fabric has a... So it's the same thing. You don't know enough about the player, uh, his character, uh, his um, uh, his lifestyle, his mentality, uh, uh, his, his training habits, et cetera, et cetera. And those uh, are things that I think uh, I, I wish we could have done better. But it wasn't because I didn't want to. It's because we just didn't have the time and we didn't have the resources to do it as well as we wanted to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, you can only do with what the hand that you're dealt with. But, you know, uh, we saw that you kept working at it. And, I mean, you had a team, thankfully, to line up against Pacific on that first day. How was it for you to see your team take the field for the first time in its history, knowing all of the hard work that you have put in in the last few months of this project? Um, to be honest, I was quite proud of of, of uh, the club as a whole uh, to, in such a short time, to put a team on the field against one of the historically one of the better teams in the league, one of the best teams in the league, away from home, to have the traveling fans that we were able to put together in such a short time uh, to travel and to show the enthusiasm and passion and love they showed in the stadium and to be in the 81st minute 0-0. Zero, zero. And 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 then take that goal and and eventually lose the game zero uh, one, and even before the goal uh, we took we had a tactically I had a strategy to keep it zero zero and then introduce two very good attacking players I felt uh, with Sandoval and Nicky in that time, uh, and we felt that maybe those two foreign attacking players can win the game for us. And I still remember in that game Minjay's uh, free kick that was was saved so beautifully. And mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, those are the moments that actually the history would have been written differently, right? So, uh, and and unfortunately, we ended up losing the game. But I thought it was a respectable and a very good showing for a first game of a club that only had only existed for a few months. And talking about historic, obviously, you had the historic first win uh, at York United. But I want to talk more about your first win at home against Forge to be able to win against, you know, this dynasty of a team, one of the best teams in the league in front of your fans. How was that for you knowing that your team finally was able to reach a level in 90 minutes to be able to beat a team like Forge soundly 2-0? Well, I think it's very important to share with your audience and yourself that uh, there are many interviews. People always ask me about Forge. Forge was struggling. Uh, what's going to happen? And which, which team do you think is the best team in the league, has the most depth? And I I think consistently I said the same thing, and we see it now they're in the finals. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel that Forge had the the um, the most complete team, the, the most balance as a team, 
the best coach team in, in the league uh, uh, through the history of the league. And even I felt at the end of the year, they're going to be there and they are. So to, to be able to play in that game with the youngest team of, of I think ever probably played in the CPL, it was under 22 team at home and to be able to win the game and have a 16 year old and Amir score his first professional goal uh, to score the winners. Uh, I think it's something I'll never forget. It's probably one of the, in my opinion, uh, a moment that will always be remembered in the history of this football club. Uh, and and I think it meant that much to us. Uh, obviously, in that particular game, we had to defend. We have to we had to absorb a lot of pressure. And Callum had his one of his best games to keep us in the game. And then as uh, the moments arrived in the game where we uh, uh, had some swift counterattacks, we're able to score the two goals and and win the game. So very special win for us. And you mentioned a little bit there about, you know, TJ and Amir. Your club has gone under some great stories, uh, especially from a youth perspective. James Cameron is another one comes to mind, a player that wasn't really with the team at the beginning of the season, the beginning of the project, and now was nominated for one of the under-21 players of the season. How does that help sort of shape and sell the identity and the culture of the club to the fans and to the players themselves? I think it's remarkable to have a professional team with 500, I think, uh, plus minutes, uh, sorry, 5,000 plus minutes of under-21 team, uh, under-21 players. And I think when you have that sometimes four to five of your starting members are under uh, uh, under 21 and you're competing. It says everything about the vision of the club and the mission of the club. So basically one of our first and more, most important mission was creating a pathway for young Canadian players uh, to become professionals and to go on and, and live their dreams. And that was something that's very close to my heart and also Rob Friend's heart and ownership. So uh, to, to be able to achieve that in our first year, I'm really proud of. Uh, and I think uh, this story is going to continue uh, only getting better because uh, we are hoping to do that every year and we're hoping to uh, improve on that. And, and, and even the players that are coming through like James and TJ to go on and, and play at the highest level in international football. Uh, and hopefully the Vancouver FC is 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 the the beginning of something quite special for Canadian football. And uh, a huge part of your season was that sort of midseason transfer window. We saw you have you have a massive overhaul of players, allowing players like Sandoval, Robe, Pele, and Mylon leave, and that sort of created the space for players like Renan and Diaz and Mickey to come in. How did that all come about? Was that something that you were intent on doing, having a, a big overhaul like this in the middle of your debut season? Well, we had to. I mean, we had to. We had to take make some changes. Partly because we felt that uh, we just didn't have the right balance, the right uh, players to uh, uh, to to really create the the story and to create the season we wanted. Um, 
And when results do not go well, I mean, part of, uh, I think, good management is to finding solutions. Uh, we didn't start pointing fingers. We we stayed true to our what we wanted to achieve, and we tried to look around to find solutions. And and I thought we we did quite well in making the right uh, uh, transfers and exchange and movement to create a much more balanced team and much more effective team. And the results uh, kind of uh, proves that. Um, uh, we needed we needed more uh, uh, experience in the squad, and I, we thought Renan brought that, Diaz brought that. We felt Vasco brought more stability in the middle of the park. We needed a, a winger that was more goal dangerous that could finish chances, score goals, and Mikel did that. So I do believe that uh, those changes were necessary and they were done uh, very measured and very very with a lot of thought behind and it took a lot of work but it was worth it and i'm really happy that we made those changes and that was what i think a lot of fans and people that were watching from the league saw as a huge turning point in your season where i think that added experience resulted in better results for your team how did your day-to-day sort of change after that point you mentioned a bit about how it was at the beginning when you look back at training and just the day in and day out of your of your regular schedule at the beginning of the season to how it was towards the end how big of a disparity was there um i think to be honest uh my work rate and <laughs> my intensity and commitment has never changed. I've always been the same person. My DNA is uh, to work 24-7 and uh, give everything I have towards the project and live the project and uh, literally uh, put my soul into the project. So um, uh, the, the the energy and the effort didn't change. I think, of course, it's it becomes more enjoyable when you're working with players that are more coachable, that more quality, and they're able to uh, uh, to execute the vision and the ideology for the game. So, uh, uh, Renan, for example, for me is 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 what he does on the field. He does twice as much off the field for me and for the team because his presence in the locker room gives confidence. His, uh, his uh, routine prior to training and after training just inspire all the, uh, the players. Players uh, uh, see him staying at 37 years old doing extra work. And if you're 27 years old uh, or when he takes his shirt off and they see how fit he is, they get embarrassed and they start wanting to do more. So I think those are uh, great. Those are very important in a, in a football team and to have players that uh, bring that kind of commitment and professionalism to their job. Uh, Renan's way of, of eating, uh, They all the players were looking at how he eats and how he uh, particular he is about his lifestyle and how committed he is. So uh, I think he's one of, I can name them all from, we see Diaz, he's, he's the first one on the pitch and he's going with a few of the youngest guys. With a development player and James, he's, he's, he's pinging balls with them before the training. And giving them uh, coaching uh, points, and uh, these are things you want to see. We we need veteran players and foreign players that can mentor and set the right example for young Canadian players. And to be able to find those foreign players that bring the quality, experience, and mentality, and mentoring, 
is 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 to be to me to be honest is really what this project needs and what we need to do with all the CPL teams. Uh, and it's not easy to find them. We're, you're lucky if you can find those 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 gems that are out there. And those gems helped a lot, especially at the end of the season, at least for results. It felt like we finally saw what your team was fine was truly capable of in that great last five game run. What came about at the end that allowed everything to sort of come together to be able to achieve those results? And do you now have the team in the right headspace for next season off of that? I think um, we we all uh, have recognized in life uh, uh, good things happen in bunches and bad things happen in bunches. And part of it has a lot to do with with that when uh, you taste success and success breeds success. And when you win a game and all of a sudden uh, the next victory is a little bit easier. And uh, this team had a lot of bad breaks, even at the beginning with red cards, suspensions, uh, certain decisions that went out, that didn't go our way, seven penalties against, two penalties for. So those are things that I think uh, uh, affects the psychic of a group and affects the locker room. And I think uh, we can look at some of the, the performances uh, that we had that we didn't get victories that uh, maybe a, just a half a second earlier or uh, or late, maybe the goal would have happened and we would have won. A ball one centimeter to the right or left, we would have scored and we would have won. And I, and I think those breaks didn't come our way and balls wouldn't bounce our way. But all of a sudden, uh, because we were so devoted to the process and so devoted to the day-to-day work, eventually I think the universe rewards you and you get the first week victory. Uh, the Ottawa goal by James is a perfect example, scoring in the, in, in the, uh, at a time, uh, making a 70-meter run into the box, uh, ball that bounces off a keeper's hand and rolls right in front of him and he taps it in. And that, that all of a sudden changes the story and narrative and, and the momentum in the team. And I do believe we have now the right um, uh, balance in the group, at least as the base, and how, how we add to that, which players do we add and sign to make this group only better, which will be the key to where we go from here. And, and I promise you that the, every addition will be uh, hopefully as mindful and as precise and measured as the Renan and the Diaz and, and the rest that we've signed in the midseason for going forward. Yeah, actually, that goes into my last question there. We're, I think most people are expecting a, a big change for you guys in the offseason. I know you've mentioned before that you're already identifying targets for the positions that you are wanting to approve upon. It was already reported um, that Sean Hundell has left the club. Does this mark the beginning of another serious overhaul of the team? And is it now shaped by the lessons and the ambitions that you have shown throughout this season? Uh, I think it just shows that uh, we are going to uh, bring uh, uh, players that uh, in certain positions to strengthen the squad. We felt, we feel that we have to take less goals. Obviously, we took too many goals and too many soft goals. And it had a lot to do with the inexperience of our back line. So we're going to bring more experience and more quality to our back line. Uh, we believe that uh, we've got it almost right in the middle of the park. Uh, and we feel that 
We need maybe one more uh, winger that can come into inside channels and inside positions uh, that can be goal dangerous, score goals and, and create goals. Uh, and we need to bring a striker with different profile than uh, Alejandro. Uh, maybe a, a much bigger, powerful central striker that can hold the ball on top, that can get at the end of crosses, and that can create the combination that we're looking for with Alejandro, for Alejandro to, so he can even score more goals. So I, I do believe that it's not about, um, it's about the fine-tuning and, and, and bringing that extra quality we're looking for to make this team not only playoff bound, but also championship bound. Okay, well, perfect. Thank you so much once again, Ashen, for taking some time out of your day. Uh, like I mentioned to Callum, hopefully you enjoy your well-deserved holidays, and we'll see you for 2024. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. And it was very nice to work with you this past season. Oh, well, I appreciate it very much. Likewise. Bye-bye. So that was Ashton's story in his first year at Vancouver FC. And Mike, did you enjoy the little story, like the little links that he made about with Pomaduka, son-in-law and Rob friend, and, you know, with him trying to sign him to Japan all those years ago, all of these sort of small world uh, occurrences that we see. Uh, I love that part of the interview. And what did you feel during, during that? Yeah, I mean, obviously you uh, conducted the interview. I've been listening, listening through, and straight away, I just I was just laughing through it. It was brilliant. How it was almost like he'd just been drawn here. Things have been lined up, ready for this moment, um, for him to come. And it's it's just great that people, um, no matter where they are in the world, working in football, there's a way of hearing about this Canadian Premier League. Um, that there are these links that we've got people working in this league who building up and building their careers but it's not quietly it's it's aiming to be a big league and is um but yeah it's just it was hilarious <laughs> how all this lined up for him and yeah great to uh great to have uh, hear from him yeah no and and he's a a great storyteller as well in the way that he describes things uh but it was really interesting to see his perspective on especially the recruitment at the beginning of the season it's it, it's a uh, not a not a secret to know that it was a tough time in recruitment they had a very short amount of time and they didn't have uh, a lot to work with necessarily and action coming in with high expectations and high standards mention about maybe the quality of players in canada at the time at the very least wasn't as high as maybe he wanted for the team and there was obviously budget issues and 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 just yeah a small pool of players that he was looking into but i was curious how what you thought about when he talked about this sort of online shopping mm -hmm. bit because that was for me a, a a great way to sort of epitomize the whole situation of buying players on when you have very little resources you don't have these you know you're not these huge clubs that can send scouts to all four corners of the world you kind mm. of just have to rely on what you can find so what did you think about that whole situation with the online shopping yeah it's a fun way to put it um it's it's difficult I mean, for me like it really stands out the difference of being an expansion team and being a uh, like an ex uh, a side that's been in the league for a few years now because 
you're, you you need the, everyone to hit the ground running. When you're bringing in a player from abroad, you need to make sure that they're going to acclimatise quick and start playing. If you're an experienced club, you can bring them in, let them settle. You've probably got players in there already that they're competing for a position with. For these players, you're, you're paying the money to bring them across. You're selling them something. They're not going to want to come to Canada if they're not going to be playing regularly. So you've got to make sure they fit. And it's, it is so like vital that I think we can run away with things if we're on scouting players on Twitter and saying, oh, yeah, the X team needs to sign this player. He looks fantastic. But this isn't football manager. These people are human beings. And you've mm. got to like really think about how players interact with each other and the best teams need they will always have it's, it's something about the camaraderie together rather than just the technical ability and so difficult to uh so difficult to do via video scouting yeah and it's and it's not the first coach that we've heard talking about that obviously phil dos santos in our interview with him mentioned that he wants to focus more on local talent and part of the reason is because you get to see what they're worth and how they are in person more and there it's much more accessible to see what kind of player they are than when you're doing this online window shopping uh from here when uh across the world so very interesting to hear that part of it and also about the changes that he made mid-season you know with with players that brought in Renan Garcia uh Miki Cantav Alejandro Diaz what did you make of his his reasoning behind making these changes letting go of a lot of the players that he initially brought in and even letting go of a player like Mael Henri who has done well for cavalry. What did you think about his whole spiel about that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen Mylon Reed do some pretty decent things in his sort of glimp like chances that he's got um at Cavalry um after he went there and looked a good player. And you yeah, you can rightly say, like, if you look at it on paper, why'd you let him go? He looks like a promising player. Um but yeah, talking about the right fit for the right club it's you don't it's not just it's not just about what they can do um technically um it's all about how that fits amongst the rest of the group really interesting way he talks about that with Alejandro Diaz obviously not having the best of Roma goal scoring form but the what he brings to that team the things that we don't see when we're not at training we're not in the locker room we're not like we're maybe not focusing on what he's doing on the pitch other than when he's got the ball um like so especially if i'm watching routine television you don't know what he's doing with these players and helping helping these younger players go forward which has been so vital for this team and really really felt um I'm very uh, insecure about myself when he was speaking about Renan Garcia and how in shape he, um, he is mm. at 37, 38 and still pushing in that time. Is, yeah, I mean, those are the things that we talk about. Like You have to scout these university players, local players who don't, many of them don't have that pro-level experience, none at all really, and the the quality of the coaching and things like that may be good, but it may not be how you want it to be. And you can hear from other people saying, well, this player, this player is one of our best players. You should take a look at him. But if you haven't got the time, you can't sit there and look and watch the games even locally as well. So it's, they seem to identify what they want to be. Um, 
they had to rush it like these like you said and you can really tell now though that 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 summer window we we may have questioned whether Alejandro Diaz should have been starting over Sean Hundle after four or five games without scoring a goal but the way he's spoken about it did you get that feeling of okay well the team actually started playing quite well maybe the striker isn't scoring and but they seem to be gelling as a group and you can either understand like what he was trying to do with this team probably looking forward to 2024 yeah i think with alejandro diaz uh obviously everyone was expecting you know the reigning golden boot winner to light up the league once again uh the fact that you know he started pretty well two goals in two games and then kind of faded off most people will look at that and and think, oh, he hasn't really worked out. But it was interesting, yeah, to see him be that leader and have that experience for those attacking players on the training ground, you know, from from the pitch, even though he wasn't scoring, it was helping other players out and kind of gives you a different perspective on what a player can bring, not necessarily just in terms of output, but in terms of what he can bring for his teammates both on and off the pitch. So I thought it was really interesting. And obviously it was what was needed at the time with, with the club, it was, you know, quite a young team. And when you have so many young local players, which is what you want to see, you do need a little bit of that experience from afar and bringing a player like, you know, Renan Garcia, who is a foreign player, but has that experience from, you know, Serie A and a bunch of other different places is so important uh, to be able to bring to such a young league, knowing that experience from those top level established pro leagues is is quite necessary. And for the club, I, I, I thought it was admirable for them to admit their own mistakes in a way and be able to change the vision and still keep this idea of wanting to bring up young local talent, which is something that uh, we will hear from shortly from uh, Stephanie Wood or just Steph, as she likes to be called. And uh, everything that came with, uh, you know, what it was to build the identity for this club. You know, it's it's something that is, I can only imagine how hard it is. And the fact that they've able to been able to have these stories that they've cultivated through TJ Tahit, through James Cameron, sort of shows that in while there's a lot of issues uh, from the club side, there were things that were successful, these success stories. So it's going to be really interesting. I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation with Stephanie Wood, the VP of Marketing of Vancouver FC, up next. And now we are joined by Stephanie Wood, or I guess Steph, as I think you would prefer to be called. Uh, you are part of the marketing team and the VP, I believe, of the marketing team at Vancouver FC. Have You have had a lot of experience in the Canadian Premier League. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to speak with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, yeah, Steph, Stephanie, Steffi, anything. Anything you want to call me, I'll answer by. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'll keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, just going to ask you some questions, I guess. We, we, you know, I've talked to Afshin, I've talked to Callum about the on-field stuff mostly, and sometimes the training and stuff. But 
I'm curious about the history of this club, the short history, the one-year history of the club, how that's been for you in the behind the scenes, in the front office, in the marketing aspect. So first, I want to ask you about your own transition. You obviously were three three years, I believe, at uh, Pacific, uh, and the transition from Pacific to Vancouver, it must have been stark given that Pacific, especially at the time you came in 2020, it was already an established club and Vancouver FC was just an idea at that point. How was that for you, this transition from one club to another? Um, it It's different. For me, they're completely different. Um, like you said, Pacific was already established. I went in there with a job to do and a goal, really. And, and that was it, um, was to help build what they'd already started they'd already got their foundations they'd already got a pretty good winning squad um they've got great coaches and you know they'd really got the island mentality through that team and it was just about kind of keeping that going keeping that on a level but elevating it at everything we did whereas with Vancouver like you said like it was an idea It was something that we wanted to start. It was fresh. It was new. And projects for me are my big thing. So this was a massive project and undertaking. And it was exciting because who doesn't want to start a football team from the ground up, right? Mm. Like, you know, you're you're finding your location, you're building your squad, you're getting a stadium, you're building your front office staff and your name and the branding and the colors and the kit and everything is brand new. And, um, this feels like a third child to me. Like I already have two little kids, but this to me is I'll always, sorry, everyone. I'll always have a soft spot for Pacific. Like I always will, Um, especially the soccer ops team and, and the players and everything that we built with, you know, we won a championship there. It was amazing, but Vancouver will always be my number one. Like we, this is, this is a baby. So, um, this is real, got real blood, sweat and tears in it. And for me, it wasn't a transition. It was to start completely different things um, and completely different feelings with them. I mean, I do still get a bit of a butterflies in my stomach when there's a derby day and I don't hmm. really know how to deal with that. <laughs> That's just me being an emotional wreck. But it's um, I always want both of them to win. But on derby day, I'll, I'll always be, you know, wearing my black. Nice. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned there, it's sort of like your baby. I, I'm not a mother, uh, so I wouldn't know how much work you have to put in, but I'm sure that you have to you take a on lot. a lot a lot of different roles. That's something that you yeah. did at Pacific. You had to take a lot of different roles, put a lot of hats on. Was that the same for Vancouver as you stepped into to that new organization? Did you have to take on a lot, even more roles than you were used to, to try to help the club establish itself? Yeah, there's definitely a, a definitely a lot of hats being worn. Um, but I think that's just also comes with my personality and just the my background and just the way I am with things. Um, marketing is obviously the key component to my role, but mm. the, the business development side, the partnership side, um, the ticketing side, you have a dabble in absolutely everything with it because really marketing touches every department, you know, and 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 it the level we were at with Pacific, we had a really strong team in ticketing, a really strong team in partnerships, the marketing team. And it's, 
yeah it's pretty much the same at Vancouver I just find myself because I've been with the league and the CPL you know for the four seasons now it's I just know things <laughs> it's weird it's like oh Steph will know the answer because I've experienced it or I've been in it or I know who right. to go and ask because I have those relationships with the front office staff at the CPL um, and that's a real big advantage I think that Vancouver had was John Rogers my counterpart um, at Vancouver also was at the real, real start of the Canadian Premier League. So he has all the insight from that side of it. I have the insight from running the club and being on the ground in the club. So between us, it was very, I wouldn't say easy, but it was easier for us to start a club rather than a brand new club coming in with having nobody that's ever worked with the CPL and who to work with. I think that's a massive benefit that Vancouver has. Um, and a massive benefit is having Rob because Rob knows the league, you know, he's, he's an owner, he's an ex player. He knows how to build a championship squad. He did it at Pacific. Um, and it's, it's been great to have that experience coming into starting a new club because not that it looks like it to anybody, but you know, we should know what works and what doesn't. And, Still, it's still trial and error because we have so many external stakeholders and influencers dictating or trying to move and change. And, you know, that everyone's an expert in a field until they have to execute. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, background noise. But we definitely stood true to what we believed in as a club, um, what we really wanted our purpose to be, the community element, the playing local players. And, you know, we're just going to grow, grow on that um season on season and and just try our best to please everybody which we'll never do but we're trying i promise <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh, obviously when you got there the first thing the first task that you likely had to be a part of because i know that you were a huge part of this was creating the identity of this club creating the badges the colors all the aesthetics how is that? I mean, it must be so difficult to try to fine tune what will be the face of a whole organization in a club in, uh, you know, these office spaces where it's nothing more than an abstract concept. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, people say naming your own child that you birth is difficult. No, naming an entity <laughs> that everybody wants to say on is the worst possible thing. Designing the logos and the brands and the word marks and taglines is you know it's you know what it's like out there on social media especially on twitter everyone wants mm. their say and we went through months and months and months of different logo designs different names different colors different variations and we all kept coming back to the same one there's john rogers um myself and then dean shillington josh simpson and rob friend going back and forth about what we really wanted this club to be, what the ownership vision for this club was. And then it was, you know, trial and error, another one after another one, you know, this logo is great, but we changed this. No, this one doesn't work for this reasons. And honestly, if you saw the files, like we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And at the end of the day, it was, we just took everything that we'd learned what everybody likes and John Rogers honestly is one of the best creative graphic designers I know and he came up with what we have now and we all loved it 
it was perfect. It was exactly what we wanted. It brought like the V. I know we've explained it a few times, but we have the eagle on the one side and the meaning behind the eagle. And we have the lines on the other side, which show the cables of the suspension bridges that surround us in the lower mainland. And it's also supposed to showcase the like the running tracks um on the that's definitely not the saying i'm so sorry i'm not a farm girl but like this you know on the fields the lines on the fields where you where you sow the seeds and um it, we just wanted it to really encompass everything about our community but also bv v for vancouver v for valley and i think it it sits beautifully together that's my personal opinion everyone has their opinions on it but you know, I think every single name and badge in any sporting um, world can be torn apart by anybody. And it is what it is. It's what we decided. And it's the name and the badge doesn't really showcase who we are. We showcase who we are. What we do in the community, what we do on the field is truly who we are. Um, and we we wanted it to be Vancouver Football Club because it, it it showcases a bigger stage and we didn't want it to just cover one community. We really do want to be here for everybody. We want to give something to everybody on the lower main land and we want everybody to feel part of it. And we did survey a lot. We spoke to a lot of people. We did so much market research. And one of the biggest questions we asked was, where are you from? And they'd go, Vancouver. Go, yeah, but where are you from? And they'd go, hmm. oh, Chilliwack. Or, yeah. oh, Coquitlam, or, oh, White Rock. And it was like, oh, right, right, but you said you were from Vancouver because everybody resonates. It's easier just to say you're from Vancouver um, than it is to start explaining where the smaller suburbs and things are. So that was one of the main things. And also we talk on an international stage. We're, we're really passionate about growing this game in Canada. And we wanted a name that everyone would go, oh, I know where they're from, without having to go, hang on a minute, like, let me look into exactly where they're from and, and start going on Wikipedia and figuring it out. If we get to CONCACAF level and things like that, we want everyone to know that we're from Vancouver, British Columbia, um, and that's who we are. So it's um, it's Marmite. You either love it or you hate it, but <laughs> it's mm. here to stay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it's one thing to sort of create this brand a daunting task in itself but another daunting task then becomes to try to market it and to sell it to the people to try to get fans involved and bringing them into the stadium and especially in a market that was it's already rife with sports teams in all different types of sports how did you approach that daunting task knowing the competition and the, the 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 tall task ahead of you yeah and it's it's a really difficult one and it's one that we get asked a lot um lots of people are saying oh we didn't see anything the marketing wasn't great for the club and you know i and i understand that but we do have to remember that one we're a cpl club we're a startup in the league that's five years young we don't have an unlimited budget we're not a english premier league club um it's it's difficult to do what we need to do. Um, the benefit for Pacific is they were the only professional sports team on Vancouver Island. So hmm. they could market anywhere. They could, we are there, hashtag for the aisle. Of course they are. Like it works. It, it's a smaller market and they saturate it. Here, like you said, you know, there are other 
football teams. There are hockey teams. There are, should I say ice hockey? <laughs> it's hockey in England, but ice hockey, you know, whatever, whichever way it is around. Like there's, there's a lot of already established fan bases. And we, we looked at it and we were like, right, we need generalized marketing. So we just need everyone and everybody to know that there's a CPL team on the mainland. That's where we turn to the CPL. Hey, guys, we have to market the league now. It's not just about marketing Vancouver Football Club. What are the league going to do to market the league in a brand new city, in a brand new market? And then we look at it and go, who's really our target market? Definitely Langley. And maybe the 20 to 30 minutes surrounding sort of drive or transit. And that's where we focused on our... I would say on street, traditional boards. Um, we did the radio stations. We did all your, you know, generic um, advertisements. But then we also did an awful lot of social media because not only are we advertising, we're also growing a following. We're, we're growing where now marketing's moving so digital, you know, so influencer based. And we have to also maintain that we're a brand new club. We need to grow following on social whilst also putting money into the street advertising and the general advertising. And, you know, then you get into the circle of, well, what's up? What's the return on investment on this? How do I track this one? And I've been really lucky to have an incredible um, team from scratch. The team we hired has been incredible. We have Bo, who, you know, I'll say this, I'm biased, but he's, he's the best photographer in the league, if not Canada, honestly. Um, he's incredible and he's such a great guy and he's built out the creative content for us for the season and it, and it's been amazing it's been it's different and we want to keep doing that and be innovative in that sector um I've got my marketing manager Kyle who we wouldn't have got through this first season without him he has literally been the execution to every idea plan and strategy that we've had at a top level he's done it all um and it's been really really great to have them really buy into it and that's been a massive part is the people that we wanted to hire we needed them to understand the love the why the blood sweat and tears just like the ownership do just like myself and john did at the beginning of it because without people that really care and are really passionate we're not going to get the best results we need them to be bought into what we're doing um and they've come up with some great ideas and, you know, just watch the, watch this space for 2024 and the next season because we're going to be doing a lot more direct community-based um, work in and around in and around the community and directly, specifically targeted to youth soccer, you know, and more family because what we've seen this season is the families want to come out. The families want to experience the game. You know, we can track and look at all these things and we can show that, yeah, we got all these people tied in with marketing. The, the numbers are there. The conversion rate wasn't. So we need to look at another side of the business of why we're not converting. Um, you know, people have spoken about the stadium being empty and ticket sales and attendance and everything like that. But, you know, People that have attended a game will say, yeah, it, 
it might look empty there, but the the feel, you know, the hills full, the lines are full, the the kids' space is full underneath. The, people aren't sitting in their seats because the stadium's being geared and kitted out to be a fun environment for everybody. So there's other things to do than just watch the soccer, and um, and that's great. But then it doesn't help everyone just seeing the broadcast and no one sat in their seats. Um, and I think it's been good, but yeah, it's been really about building the team for sure and making them understand what we're doing and yeah uh well i mean that's something that i see as well as in the and then in the media box seeing that there's a lot of people like you said on the side where the tv is not showing and underneath so i can sort of understand that and for yourself i know community you mentioned before but even in your other works has been such a huge priority and it's something you valued so much even in pacific with the indigenous kits that you had as a prime example of that how was navigating being involved with the community and making that your priority now for vancouver in this first year it's it's the biggest priority in all honesty because it's we want to be a community football club. Like we want to be a club that anybody can come to and they feel welcome. They feel safe. And it's not, Oh, it's not, you know, too expensive. It's a great day out for a family. It's a great day out for a couple. And we want to be on the event sheets everywhere. You know, we don't just want to be season ticket holders and diehard football fans. We, we do want to be there for everybody. So we've done hundreds and hundreds of off-site community events community hours we've had the players out at schools at the local soccer clubs at we've had them cooking meals for the salvation army we've we've literally you name it we've done it um mayday parades and you know taking the mascot out has been really key and i think that community's community it doesn't stop at one specific thing and we're going to continually build on that and be at different events and you know if anyone wants us to come out just let us know and we'll be there but I think the um the indigenous side of it from Pacific I worked a lot on that piece and that's that's one community that's one small piece of um of what they're doing and and it's the same here we want to make sure we're working in that space and that community as well and Honestly, I'm a firm believer of we're not just doing it for social gain. We're not just doing it to virtue signal. Like we're doing so much behind the scenes that we don't put out there, that we don't show people because we want to do it. You know, we don't just want to do it to post and people say, oh, God, you've got to post. You need to show us what you're doing or, or we don't know. But, you know, we're, we're so busy and we're doing so much that we'll pick and choose at what we're doing. I think we have honestly the players or the business staff out at an event three or four times a week um you know Bo can't be at everything documenting it luckily we have Matt and David on staff and uh, Matt's our graphic designer and he's been tirelessly working to you know build out all the graphics and make sure we've got everything and and sometimes stuff just you know doesn't take the priority of getting it out there um because we have other things to do and David's been incredible he's really kind of head up headed up for us community um execution and elements and also videography and he's at he's our swiss army knife um he's been a great addition to the team um from an internship and all the way through when we brought him on officially 
Um, he runs game day pretty much with our street team and making sure everything's organized. And he's just a great touch point from every every angle, from game day into community, into the um, office. He's Spanish speaking. So he's been great with the players and, you know, helping those those players settle in um, as well. But we're going to continue to do all the community, the rooted in community content pieces you'll have seen going out on social is is something that's important for us because we really want to showcase our boys. We really want to showcase the players for them and not just for a soccer player. You know, there's so much more about them than just that. And we want to touch the community they're from. We just did Renan's Brazilian one. Um, with Sean, we went to the Punjabi market. Um, Rocco's is coming out, you know, in a few weeks. We've got Mickey's. We're filming Mickey's tonight, actually. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's just so much more to these boys and these players. And what I found at Pacific the most is the fans resonate with a the player. They have a favorite. They want to get to know them and they want to come for them. Like Rocco's a fan favorite. Everyone loves him. Um, so people want to know more about him. And it is just that it's simple. We just have to connect with the community and find our connection with the community on every level. And I think that we're really, we're only at the beginning. We're just getting started with it. And I just want to make sure that, you know, we're around to be able to do that more into the next coming seasons. And, uh, you know, with all of these news experiences that yourself, you have to go through, I mean, the club has to go to in year one, what for you were the biggest challenges from the office side of things this year? Um, the biggest challenges from the office side, honestly, it was like, like we said earlier, we started from scratch. So we were hiring staff as well as doing the jobs ourselves um we didn't get the keys to the stadium till the day before our home opener we had no idea about it like views on the seats like obscured ticketing like the ticketing team have had a horrible time this season because we didn't know any of that like the seating maps and you know working with the lec is completely different to what we do at pacific um they help us out massively with a lot of things um but honestly it's just been finding our feet in this market Mm. and getting the right staff in the right place and knowing what this community and this market and this fan wants that isn't what a Halifax fan wants a York fan a Valor fan it's what a Valley Vancouver mainland fan wants um which is also different across the board um but yeah, we we know, you know, you've been to the stadium, you've seen it. The stadium isn't finished. We know that. Mm. We're not we're not proud of that stadium. We want people to know that we're not proud of that stadium. We could be, and we're going to continuously keep working on making that a better environment, more entertaining and more inviting for everybody. Um it's not what we wanted. Of course it's not. So biggest things like that, you know, is just building on now the foundations we now have is knowing our limitations and what we can and can't do and where our ceiling is and growing further and continuously listening again to the community, to the fans, to the market about what we can do. Obviously we want a roof, but that's millions of dollars, you know, and it's not ours, it's the township. Um, We, we wanted a roof, our renderings had roofs, you know, but it's, 
things go over budget, spend happens elsewhere. And we're just, you know, we're hopeful that the the ownership group and ourselves can can just work on that and growing it for everybody um, year on year. And now that the, the first year is done, it's in the books, a year of, of lessons and learning. What are you hoping to uh, improve upon for 2024? What are you planning on doing differently to, especially with in, like you mentioned, the communities, trying to get them more involved and in the end, putting more, more, more bums and seats. Yeah. Um. Honestly, we just want to keep building on what we had because we definitely believe that the strategies that we had where we wanted to be and what our goals were they were never going to happen overnight this is a brand new project um and like i said the league is young it's five years um and we just want to make sure that we have a strong squad on the field no one wants to watch a losing team year in year out uh sorry game in game out and you know you saw the the shift in the latter half of the season again we're just getting started on the field there as well so we need to make sure that that is there for our fans which you know ultimately puts bums in seats because you want to watch a winning team you see what happens with the caps they lose people don't go they start winning that you know more people want to go and get behind them and in it and it's just nat it's just natural behavior and what people want um we want to make sure that the players are true community players as well, you know, and they want to be out in the community and they can um, be, be humble people um, and role models ultimately. And then that shifts into the business side, because if that's working on the field, it's just easier for us on the business side, no pressure there for, for the coach and the team. Sorry, boys, but um, it's just so much easier for us. And I think a big, a big thing that we've we really need to grow on and that we've struggled with and and honestly for no real fault of our own other than it doesn't really exist anymore is is this what we're doing right now it's sports media like I have an incredible comms girl Caitlin like she's great and she has done nothing but try so hard this season to you know host and be be there for the media and ship stories and look this is happening and there just isn't really any uptake on that and that's one thing that I as an English girl from England with soccer being the biggest sport there it's on the front page it's on the back page it's on the middle page it's it's on every blog and and here it's not really the same um and I know Vancouver in general and the mainland isn't I, I personally wouldn't necessarily call it a big sports city or town or you know it's not east coast it's not some of the you know states cities and we do struggle with that and i think for the media good or bad i just urge them to get behind us you know we are trying to cultivate local talent and grow the game in canada and i just wish and hope for next season that people can buy into that rather than you know talking about the things that really don't do that the name the badge the colors you know um the stadium not being full and, and I know that's an easy talk but I just think that what we're really trying to do 
everyone in Canada needs to get behind. Everybody, the fans, the media, each club, more owners. And and we can grow this into being an incredible soccer country. And that's ultimately what we're all here for and what we want. Um, and that's my biggest, you know, area of where I think we can really grow this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. That's exactly how I feel, too. And that we all have to sort of yeah. work together in all different departments to help grow the game and then be able to build it especially you know the world cup's coming we gotta be prepared for that and so yeah i completely agree agree with you on there yeah it's it's the working together it's the collaboration that i've felt that we've missed this season everyone's so quick to judge and comment and critique Mm. and i just think that if we you know banded together and we could we could do amazing things so i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful for that yeah for sure and and that ties in a little bit with my last question here of you know what are your goals for the club long term goals i'm talking in 5 or so years how far do you see this club potentially going especially you know in terms of jutting its head above the crowd and competing with the big boys in the in the mainland Wow. Um, I mean, everyone always wants to win. That's all we want to do, right? At the end <laughs> of the day, we're a we're a s- soccer playing football team, um, and we want to win. That's what we're here for. If we take all of the rest of it out of it, all the marketing, all the ticketing, everything, like it's on field. We want to win. We want to showcase um, what we have. And my dream would be to have a full thirty man roster of all local mainland boys. I think that would just be such an incredible story of what Vancouver Football Club were able to do. Um, you know, give the platform to the likes of James Cameron, to TJ, um, Anthony White, you know, Callum coming home, Caden coming home from Toronto, all these local homegrown boys. Like, that would be incredible. And then see them going on to the Canada national team. And, you know, we cultivated them from their youth clubs here and we worked with their youth clubs and we had feeders into that um we obviously want to win the league we want to win the championship um I have my Pacific medal up in the office at Vancouver and don't think a lot of the soccer ops team like that but you know it's there to kind of say we're going to get that we're going to get another one Mm. you know we we are going to do it and we can do it and yeah I would you know we can go toe-to-toe with the big guys in the in the city for sure 100 percent. multiple teams have pacific have cavalry have many of times and we definitely just need to you know retweak our squad um and we can do it i have all the faith and trust in everyone at the club where at the end of the day we're a family here and we have each other's backs and that's the biggest thing for me is office and locker room morale and we we really do care about each other and I think that's a big thing yeah definitely well thank you so much Steph for taking time out of your day again uh congratulations on finishing (laughs) the first year uh hope you have some well-deserved holidays and uh I'm excited to see what the club cooks up for 2024 yeah thank you so much thank you for having me I really appreciate it always a pleasure
That was really interesting, um, Felipe, a chat with Steph. Like one of the, one of the things I guess a great way to start off about is how if, when it, when it's just an idea on paper and you haven't got and you're recruiting staff while doing the work, it's amazing how much extra things come into. You, Steph may have a role, but she's taking on four other roles at the same time, and everyone else around the club is doing the same as they slowly try to bring in players. And it's not like a multi-billion-dollar like the City Group coming in and creating a team. This is a team. This is a group that maybe hasn't got unlimited funds, and they've got to slowly build out and just bring the staff in that's affordable, I guess, as well. Like there's lots to manage. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where when you see a club being built from the outside, it obviously you don't think it's easy, but you don't mm. quite grasp everything that has to go into it, especially with a club that didn't really have all that much time to even be formed. So they were still hiring staff after mm. the first game of the season. They were still trying to fill these holes with people that were being filled by one person stretching over five or six different jobs or tasks. And obviously Steph was at the head of that and being able to focus on not only the marketing side, but also just creating, you know, being part of the naming and the badges and uh, the kits and all of this imagery that is so important to a football club because that's what shapes its whole identity uh, and knowing that she had to do all of these things while while things were quickly developing and they were rushed at times. And the fact that they managed to pull it off and yeah. have a pretty decent product as a result mm-hmm. is, yeah, like I said, uh, quite admirable for, for everything that they've been able to do in such a short amount of time. Yeah, what what were your thoughts? I mean, she spoke obviously about the naming of the club, the badge, the branding, and things like that. And they said they they kept coming back to things and kept bringing up ideas, and it all kept coming back to similar points, which eventually formed what what we see now of Vancouver SC. It's really interesting how there's that openness just to say like we want to please everyone, but we know we can't. <laughs> but this is what we think represents who we are and who we are that want to work in the community. So it's not just, they're not just trying to throw things out and hope everyone else, they're dragging everyone in. They're saying, this is us. Come and support this team with us. We want to be, we want to be this with you, I guess, rather than reaching out and trying to say, we've got a bit of this that you're like, and we've got a bit of this you're like. Yeah. I think with, uh, with Vancouver FC, like Steph mentioned, you're not going to please everybody. I think it was definitely a bold move, and I think a lot of people can agree with that, being called Vancouver FC and being based out of Langley. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think in the end, it's a smart move because you can see that the direction they want to do is they want to include everybody in the lower mainland. And, you know, when they are correct that in a similar way, you know, as somebody originally from Ontario, when they say, where are you from? I don't say the little suburb that I'm from. I'm saying I'm from Toronto. And Mm. for a long time with Toronto FC, that's the club that I identified with, even though I wasn't from Toronto. And I can see that sort of parallel with, you know, Vancouver and the way that they try to have everybody welcome there, regardless if you're from Coquitlam or Maple Ridge or Richmond or Surrey or, or wherever you're from. 
And I, I again, once again, admire that. Uh, but I, yeah, and just hearing the story about how they just kept going back to it, regardless of what direction they went to. And when they, you know, went out and did a bunch of surveys and they canvassed for, for opinions from people. And, you know, they, they, a lot of people don't think they did, but they did their due diligence and mm. speaking with different members of the community. I think it's, it was really cool to see how it all sort of come back to this unified identity of being, you know, from Vancouver. And we'll see in the future if, uh, if that continues the way that they want to, and maybe, you know, if, depending on what happens with Langley, if that's the home for them for the foreseeable future, uh, you, you know, in the CPL, it's a young league teams will bounce around uh, from the, from home to home. Uh, just ask York United. Um, but uh, no, I think it was a, a, a very insightful conversation about that side of things and being able to mm. also look towards the community as that pillar, that main pillar. I know for Steph, that's super important as we talked about in the interview mm. and, you know, targeting youth and family directly. And I think the biggest challenge was finding their market who actually genuinely is interested. Cause mm. you know, she mentioned that at the beginning, a lot of parties were interested, but then when a push came to shove and it actually came to coming down and 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 joining in a lot of people sort of didn't really deliver on that yeah. so then through some of the hard lessons they found out what their actual market is where to put their resources in rather than maybe casting the net too wide mm-hmm. and you know they'll i think everyone recognizes that there were mistakes were made but they're going to uh, learn from it and be able to be better for it so that next year they can uh, market to even more people and hopefully get even more people into the stadium for 2024. Yeah. I mean, it's like touching on the name, like, I think from someone outside of Vancouver and outside of Canada as well. I mean, if, if before the league was created, if so, if I went, if I talked to someone here in England, they say, I follow the CPL or they're like, who's the, who won this year? And I say forge, then we like, where are they from <laughs> like you, mm. you don't know the league like so when it comes to it you're putting a bigger though and it i mean when you come to if if and when they reach conquer cap champions cup it makes it a little bit easier for these sides down all around the country all around the continent to go right where do we need to do um but more like focusing on that community that community bar the, the a key bit that came up there was obviously next year they're looking to target the youth and family support um mm younger young adults it's harder to change their their minds if they are white caps regulars if they're canucks regulars like they've got their their identity really and it can be harder to change that not saying it can't i mean it's i would go and watch games wherever there was was local to me as well as the team i supported which at times i was um, a, a train ride away but that's that's going to be huge for building up this team and like getting these young play people on board and the, and the, and their parents along to bring them each week. Yeah, and it's one of those situations where you have to be able to juggle the the, the reality, which is we're this new fish in a pretty big pond in a sports world like in a sports city like Vancouver. 
You have, like you mentioned, you know, the Whitecaps, the Canucks, so many different sports in Vancouver. And that's just competing within the sports world. There's so many different entertainment things that you can go into. So it's a, you know, it's about knowing who you are going to target and being able to target these young players uh, or these young uh, fans and having them be able to have connection with these players, I think is a great way to retain interest and to really forge a connection with the team. And that's what makes it so that, you know, it's one thing being able to sell a ticket and have them go and enjoy it, but never come back. It's another thing selling a ticket to someone and have them go enjoy it and want to come back and continue to come back for whether it be a few home games or become a season ticket holder or become, you know, join one of the supporters group that like we're going to talk about in a little bit. I think those are the aspects that you have to try to strive for being able to, you know, have those not only selling but retention with the fans so i think targeting yeah the 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 youths and families is probably their best option because it's a competitive market out there and you have to find every niche and angle you can to sort of rise above the water and and stay afloat amongst so much competition in the lower mainland yeah i mean because they like we've heard with uh, before with afshin as well like young players were given chances here as well which is like a huge incentive for these young footballing children, like boys and girls playing footballing in Van- in and around Vancouver at the moment. Like as young kids can see, TJ, James Cameron, Anthony White, all these players getting decent minutes. And now with these like, international players that have come in to help raise the professionalism and share their experiences, they're seeing what, what they could go. I mean, James Cameron's over trialing in England a 10 year old now sees that and thinks actually like <laughs> we've got a big big old city a few cities nearby that the white caps used to will drag people in now now there's two now there's two teams like there's the there's twice the opportunity for me now um in the sort of pro level there's league one vc as well we've got the white caps too so like having all of that together if you can build that as like a local like this is the first this is the first stop for a young vancouver player to dream of playing yeah and i think that's creating that pathway for these fans to become players having that sort of max ferrari story that we mm-hmm. talked about with york united is is so important and for the general soccer sphere to grow one of the things that Steph mentioned before we get into talking about uh, Zach and the fan perspective is sports media, having more sports media involved with the team and not just the team, but the CPL in general, because, you know, she mentioned a great point. We can only go so far in marketing ourselves before we sort of hit that ceiling of how far the league can market itself. And the league needs to be able to market itself more. And part of that is having more and more sports media and soccer media be surrounded by it, be reporting on it. And I think it's a it's a very important point. One of the reasons why we started this whole podcast in general was to continue to, you know, cover the league as a whole and be able to give people, you know, sort of, quote unquote, on the outside uh 
be uh, you know opportunities to listen in to coaches and to to players and to hear more about what's happening in the league from you know the day to day from the match to match and in the bigger picture so i think it's one of those situations with sports media and and with the cpl that they need to both grow with each other so that soccer in canada in general can continue to to evolve especially with the opportunity that we have in 2026 with the world cup coming to canada exactly i mean it's key i mean for us it's been great to be able like it's quite a small short tight-knit community almost sports like soccer media and we've been a great play guys come on to the show throughout the year um there's great people doing a lot of work voluntarily uh as well um and i guess that it's important like you say like the mainstream medias and the bigger media departments need to see that we can help raise this and this is something that fans are coming to this the, the attendances are going up every year how could like when something needs to be done to help raise that and that's got to be by getting it out there and informing people when you can't just rely like you can't expect the club to, they can do that in their local area only to a certain degree they need extra they need more to help help this grow more and it's so important i mean football and soccer whatever you want to call it it's so it's, it's such a huge sport and it can be massive in canada if it continues to grow and it just needs that help to make sure that it's accelerating the right way and not sort of stumbling its way along against more and more barriers yeah and that's actually that's something speaking of of you know zach and who is the one of the people that organizes the fraser valley fanatics that we're going to talk to a little bit he mentions also this idea of coming together uh to be able to grow the sport of soccer and the conversation with zach is was a, a lovely conversation to have for people who have listened to the aftn podcast know obviously of zach and his history with supporters group so uh hope you enjoy this interview that we have here talking about what it was like from a fan perspective to enjoy that year or enjoy suffer at times you know the regular <laughs> life of supporters that's group yes. uh exactly that's football through Vancouver FC, but yeah, Zachary Meisenhauer from the Vancouver, uh, from the Fraser Valley Fanatics. Next, and now, lastly, we are here joined by Zachary Meisenheimer, the voice of the Fraser Valley Fanatics. You also might have heard his voice on AFTN if you are a frequent listener of theirs. Um, but today, we're going to be talking more about Vancouver FC, this time from the fan perspective. So, Zach, I'm going to ask you right away about taking you back in time to when Vancouver FC were first announced in 2022. What was your reaction when you saw that Vancouver FC was something that was going to become a reality? Well, well, a, a couple of things. First off, I, I'm I'm definitely not the voice of the Free Valley Fanatics. I'm just one one of the voices, um, and it's but it's great to be a part of be a part of the the supporters. Um, uh, and yeah, there, there are lots. We maybe we'll talk about parts of that later. But yeah, when I think about Vancouver FC and them starting and them getting announced, uh, that 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 November announcement or whatever it was, like yeah, that was. I, I don't know how much you and I have talked about this, Felipe, but. For me, that was uh, just a, like a, a part of the journey. Like I, 
been having conversations with with Rob Friend since 2017 about this, about this happening and about uh, the the plans and the hopefulness and the possibilities and locations and uh, names and colors and all these all these kinds of conversations. Um, but uh, so for me, it was kind of it was like it was more like a well, it was kind of like okay, finally it's happening. Hmm. And then, but it was also a little bit of uh, uh, there was a sense of a feeling of okay, the the runway for this is is shorter than than I think most people would like because it, it was November, right? Was it November twenty twenty one? Yeah, I believe it was announced yeah, November second, twenty twenty two. Yes, because yes, I was in Whistler for a, a work retreat that happens the first week of November every year, uh, and. And uh, on the AFTN site, we we dropped a, a, the kind of the the uh, inaugural Fraser Rally Fanatics kind of launching as well at the same time. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the one thing, because I didn't know for sure it was it was going to be called Vancouver FC. That was the one thing that was a little bit su- surprising is not the right word, but yeah, I mean, there's a, for some people that's a, a significant issue, right? Is is the name hmm. uh, for me personally? Uh, it's not the name I would have chosen and like Rob and, and the ownership, they know that, but um, it's also for me, not like a, a hill to die on or, a, uh, or something to that removes enthusiasm or excitement for, for the club and for the opportunity to be a part of something from the, from the, the ground up. <clears throat> um, and I see the, I see, I see the, perspectives that the owners have in terms of the the opportunities that it brings and the the connection to the larger community the larger area the larger geographical area and obviously it helps with um recruitment it it should help with sponsorship um there's all these kinds of things that are are meaningful and significant um and for those who are concerned about connecting more locally with where the stadium is you know uh, i think we've also seen that they've done some good connecting there. And even literally, I think yesterday they, they just did a a partnership with one of uh, the people who's been a part of what we've been doing in the supporter community in a, in a, you know, partnering with a small business. And so they have good connection locally, but um, I know the name was really off-putting for some people, the name and then the logo. Some people didn't like that as well. And again, for me, these are not hills to hills to die on or things that would stop my, my desire to be involved and to help make things happen and move things forward. And but yeah, I mean, to, to, I guess just to answer that your, your question more specifically. Yeah. I was really excited that finally there was a Canadian premier league club coming to the lower mainland uh, that would be my new local professional football club. And you've had, you know, experiences with uh, supporters groups before you were part of the foundation of Curva collective back in 2011 for the white caps how was it growing a dedicated supporters group from scratch with a club that was from scratch and how did it compare to when you formed curva collective yeah i mean all the all the, all these things are about relationship right it's all about uh who you know and who, you know having spent time with people and getting to know people and so it was just about about connecting with people and asking people who wanted to be a part of something new and something fresh. And for some people, something that was, could be their, their local club and, 
in their community. So just, it was about reaching out to those people. So it was a little bit different. I mean, with, with Curva Collective, it was, that was birthed out of uh, a desire to place a larger emphasis on things like visual displays um, in, in particular. Um, and also just also a support, a supporting, a vocal supporting style that was a, a little bit different than the direction that, that had kind of taken hold at the beginning of, of MLS, which was not quite, the same as what happened pre MLS, and there's I'm sure there's maybe some people who are yelling at their their phones as I say that. There's lots <laughs> we could talk about that about that, but um, um, that was I mean th that's how that started. It was again just some people coming together and saying, "Hey, things are going in a certain direction. We think that the direction should be a little bit different." Um, we talked about actually should we should we should we do things from within the current structures and the current groups that are around or should we do something new and so in that case we did something new with vancouver fc it was new so there was always going to be one or more groups that that sprung up and my conversations with with rob over the years was like yeah i just told him hey i want to be a part of whatever's going to happen and if i can help bring some people in and um help play that kind of role of help yeah helping grow things it's i said i'd love to to do as much as possible and so um obviously when you're a new club you're you're happy for any help you can get in, in terms of you know kind of yeah getting people into the stadium and so rob's always been very supportive and very helpful and then not just rob but uh all the stewards of the club um you know uh the rogers brothers steph uh um, Simon um, and every and everyone else at the at the club has, has been really helpful because it's a symbiotic relationship, right? As you you want to grow, you want to grow the supporter community around the club, and the club wants to be able to grow the number of people that are coming to games and that are uh, ultimately identifying the club as being their club, right? And so, um, yeah, the, the circumstances were were quite different um, from 2011 to. Uh, I guess 2021 is technically when we started talking about Fraser Valley Fanatics. Um, so that things were quite different in that decade. But the the good thing was, um, in both cases, it was I was just connecting with people I knew. And we're saying, mm -hmm. hey, this is what's going. This is we're we're starting to go in this direction. Do you want to be a part of things? And, and maybe more so this time. Actually, this time the thing that was different was it was because it was a new thing. And because it, I knew we knew that there was going to be people from all different stripes of, uh, across the supporter community in the lower mainland, it was a little bit more of, hey, do you want to be a part of something new? And do you want to be help, do you want to be a part of helping shape something new? Um, because, yeah, in the supporter community in the lower mainland, there are, like I said, there's different flavors. And sometimes those flavors work well together and sometimes they don't they don't mix as well as well together. And so I knew that that was always a potential issue or, hmm. or potential barrier and so it was not uh it was not like hey do you want to be a part of something this is what it's going to be it was like hey do you want to be a part of something and you have the opportunity to help shape it and 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 build it to, together kind of thing and so that was one of the coolest things for me with, with with the fanatics is uh just bringing together this group of people that had kind of all been a part of different groups in the past whether it was curva collective or south siders or uh, Swan Guardians or or whatever, and bringing them together to um, to support this new club together, and then just seeing what people were passionate about or what they had experience with, and um, yeah, 
it is really fun. So you have all these different people with all these different pasts and histories. And um, there's a lot of like just getting to know each other and, and figuring things out because like in life, when you don't know someone well, you, you have, you have maybe expectations or you have preconceived notions of, of who they are or how they function or whatever. And so um, I think there was a bunch of, people being like oh I, I i heard you operate this way but really it's like this or whatever and for me there were some people I'm, i know coming into it i was just like oh how's this gonna be because we weren't really connected super tightly um and i didn't know how how that, how, how that would play out and yet some of those people are probably my closest friends now within the fanatics community and but there's great synergy on how we support you know vocally and especially visually and um it's just been been a been a lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, for the fanatics and 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 growing things, the, the key things are the, the vocal vocal unity. So you know, trying to get everyone to sing together, and then visual displays. How can we support our our club? How can we support our players visually? And it's been a lot, a lot of fun, and it's been really, really great to to do that together. Because for me, it had been kind of a while since I got to do some of those things, especially. The singing, I've got to do a bit of a Canada games or whatever, but uh, visually it felt like it'd been a while since I got to do something and be a part of something that was kind of fun. And and we got to do that this year. And we also, not just that we get to do it, but we, when it comes to TIFO, when it comes to the visual displays, it's it's also about like, uh, for me anyways, it's not, it's about trying, trying to do new things or new ways. It's because like TIFO is like, it's art, right? And so you don't always hmm. want to, you don't always want to do the exact same thing or the in the you know in the exact same way or whatever and so this year was fun to yeah just do some stuff that like i've never done for example I've never done anything with rigging before and so mm -hmm. there's a little rigging set up at the front of the, the section where we're, where we're in the stadium and so we got to use that a couple of times which was fun and we had a guy who was an you know from the movie industry uh rob wheeler who's in, you know has dealt with these things and was able to help you know play a, a significant role in making that um making that possible and um then yeah then we had people who said oh we can there's new ways that we can create stuff and they they provided space for that and there's some old people who provided space for a lot of the painting and all that kind of stuff and then just seeing people come together to make make it all happen was just really really awesome and um a lot of fun and like yeah i got a whole bunch of new friends and new people i'm in community with and uh really enjoying it and longing for it to continue to to kind of just grow in the same way that yeah the club longs for the the support in general in the in the stadium uh to continue to grow yeah i mean for people who don't know that much about supporters groups uh tifo is a thing that i know for me is something that i came to learn more recently rather than just the vocal side and fraser valley fanatics you guys have had some really nice tifos across the season the welcome to the dark side is one of my personal favorites that i saw there uh, as well, you had one for the first match against Pacific. And I wanted to ask you about that particular match. What did you make of it as a fan, that whole experience, the first proper game for the club, especially for you who have been, you know, asking about it, like you said, since 2017, it only became a reality, you know, in the last six or so months before that. How was it to finally see it all come together on that opening day? Yeah, it was it was it was incredibly special, and was grateful to be able to be a part of it. I think originally the the clubs and the league, and specifically Vancouver FC, were hoping that that would have been a, a home game, 
Um, but obviously due to the stadium issues and the, the township of Langley not not able not being able to have the stadium ready for mid to early April meant that that had to be an away game. And if I'm honest, I'm actually kind of grateful that it was. It made it, made it even more special. I also think it meant that more people uh, went out of their way to to get there and be there, be a part of it. So there was, I don't know, like 80, over 80 tickets in our section, which is not a huge number for, for away, away fans. But I think in the CPL, that's a significant number of away fans. Yeah. Um, and um, no, it was, it was, yeah, it was good times. And then we did the, we did yeah, the little sweet dreams, um, the sweet dreams uh, display for that with some small flags and just a, like a frontal kind of banner with, with an image of the Eagle and the word sweet dreams on it. And that's, that's a song that's, that came from a, a guy who uh, I think now he, he would, uh, most identify as being a swan garden he's not in the vancouver community but that song is from the local area that's been sung at used to be sung at, at bc place um and it still will still be sung at bc place for canada games i know for sure but um is a song we just kind of we wanted to we decided to go with and it's a part of the songs we sing and uh, but the 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 occasion was amazing felipe it was yeah it was it was so nice it was uh, it was really helpful. One of the key things is that's lacking at our stadium in, at the Lang, uh, Langley Event Center um, is we had a roof, so that mm. made our, that made our 80, 80 people or however many people were with us because I think there was a few others that beyond the eighty, but the, it made the the people who were there singing exponentially louder, and uh, and so that was incredibly helpful, and that also led to one of the iconic moments of the day which was not great for us, but was still kind of, you know, it's memorable. Let's put it that way is when um, Manny comes over after scoring the only goal of the game yeah. with, the, with the, with the shush, you know, the, shush, the shush sign. Thing, yeah. Cause you only get shushed if you're actually loud enough to be shushed or, and, and, and being, being, being heard by the other people. So no, it was the, the losing obviously is never fun. We got revenge in the, at the end of the season away to Pacific, but um, it was just, it was really good. And it also, one of the things that's great about the CPL in particular, what's happened at uh, Puyallabi park is just the, the connectivity with the players. Um, the, uh, the, the, the bigger, the bigger you get, the, the harder it is to stay connected to the players right? Like the, to your team, right? Think about any sport, right? Like if, if you're talking about like basketball in the NBA or the NHL or whatever, the bigger things are, the, the harder it is, the harder it is to have access to the, to the, to the players and the CPL and especially how things are operated at, at Langley, there's great access to the player. There's great connectivity on top of that. They, they do a number of events to get the players out into the community uh, both for their own social things and then connecting with football clubs and community events. And um, and that day in Langford, there was, it was just um, some bonds had already been built, but it was, it was a very strong connectivity from our players because even though they had lost, uh, I think they felt supported. They felt like there are people who care about, about them as players and about the club. And uh, it was, I think it really helped set the tone for the year. Um, because no matter how things went, those players knew that the supporters would be there to to sing for them and to try and encourage them and spur them on to victory. Yeah, that's actually something else I wanted to touch on there. 
You guys were loud every game through pretty much 90 minutes, regardless of the result. But how was it tough at all for you and for the supporters to stick by the boys when they were struggling early on? And in those games where they were getting blown out at times by Ottawa and, and Pacific? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, obviously, just for myself. Like, it's, it is, results are important, obviously. And that's, like, you long to win, you long for trophies, you long for these mountaintop experiences. But uh, the results aren't going to determine my support. You know what I mean? Like, it's, if we, if we lose, I, I still love and care for the club, even, even if we, uh, the same as when we win. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, were those uh, defeats deflating? Yeah, of, of course they were. Was it uh, harder to maybe encourage everyone to sing, <laughs> like full voice and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it, it was. But did people still sing? They did, which was great. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's uh, – I, I think there were other issues that were – that uh, made things difficult throughout the year. Not The results – for some people, I think they were more significant uh, in terms of like the losses were made things frustrating for them. Um, but they, I think there were probably, when I think about the year as a whole, I think it, you know not having a roof and having to deal with the sun uh, on some on some games when it was really hot, mm. uh, and the one and a half times it it rained, <laughs> uh, those were probably kind of harder things for for people to deal with because we had lots of people. Who would say, "Hey, I'm not coming today because I can't. I can't be in the sun for two hours or th two and a half or three hours or whatever." And um, as much as it, like for me personally, there was only maybe one or maybe two games where I was like, "Oh yeah, it's crazy hot. Like I, I need to like at halftime, I need to get out of. I got to go underneath the bleachers or or whatever." Uh, and I, I'm, I'm someone who wears tons of sunscreen because I I'll burn. You know, kind of like Michael McCall, I'll burn quite severely if I stay in the yeah. sun. <laughs> um. Um, but I didn't find it, it uh, that bad, but I know there was, that was a significant issue for people. That was probably more of a barrier for support than, than any, than anything. Um, but again, uh, long-term, hopefully things like a roof and, you know, stadium improvements or whatever are part of, or well, it's, it's a part of what the stewards of our club are trying to do. Um, we'll see if it's able to happen in conjunction with the township of of, of Langley. But uh, to answer your question, uh, for me, you know, th those those whatever allowing five goals or six goals or whatever in those games, they were frustrating. But for me, you, it's, it's not a sing when you're winning mentality, right? It's a mm. maybe it should be maybe even sing even louder when you're losing mentality. If I'm mm. honest, it's easy to sing when you're winning. It's it's because uh, part of the supporter community. Uh, is it's a sacrificial thing right Felipe like you're giving of your time and your energy to whatever set up the stadium and to lead things as a as a as a group of people the the TIFO stuff is takes a lot of time and and hours and you know people are doing that because they love it right like it's a sacrificial thing they're giving up their times or they're giving up their talent or the the people both involved and not directly involved are giving up their money to make it possible and it's same thing with same thing with singing in the stadium. Like you're giving up your voice in one sense. Like you're giving your voice to the team, uh, and so it, it is kind of sacrificial. And so for me, it's like a, it should be a thing that yeah, maybe we're louder when we're losing almost. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I I think that's a great way of looking at it. And, you know, sometimes when you are sacrificing something, you get a reward for it. And you did get a reward with that first home win against Forge. How was that as an experience? And especially with the on-field celebrations, I remember seeing uh, the fans and the players celebrating together on the field, singing to each other, a magical time honestly for just to watch it how was it being there in person leading those chants with with the rest of your supporters yeah so that was the the tuesday june 20th game right if i'm if i'm remembering right i believe so i think so so. because i brought a few i brought a few people from work to that game and um so yeah i was i was really really happy because yeah i know i know how much you love forge and 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 you and we both know how good Forge are and how mm. quality of a organization they are, especially when you think of their coaching staff and their their technical setup and, and whatever they are. The I mean, I begrudgingly say that they are the you know the the the, the high watermark for the league. They're, they're the benchmark for the league, right? And right. To, and um. Um, Bobby is, has done an amazing job and has built off of all the, his hard work at Sigma to incorporate some of those people and his ability to, um, uh, develop young players and to build a team and to rebuild a team and all that kind of stuff. So going into that game, I was just like, this is a Tuesday night. The crowd's going to be even smaller than normal. I'm bringing some people from the office and it's forge. And I was just like, if we can get a point, I would. I would probably would have been over the moon. Um, so the fact that we won that game and won it, um, maybe convincingly is too strong a word, but we won it. I think we were fair winners on that. Would you even as a Forge person say it was, we were, we yeah, were, I think especially, you know, with Forge had a few chances, Callum saved uh, quite a few, but at the end, if you make mistakes and you get punished, you don't deserve to win. So I would say, yeah, yeah fair winners is a, is a, a, a good uh, reflection on it. So yeah, it, it was it was awesome, and then um, so we had talked because yeah, and for me, uh, as as much as it's not only about winning, you do want to celebrate wins and you do want to make them meaningful. And we had talked kind of casually because we didn't want to, we didn't want to, um, we didn't want to like have two grandiose plans, but we did want to have some kind of connection with the players afterwards or whatever. And so yeah, we gave them we gave the megaphone to well, we we brought we. I can't remember if Brent, I think Brendan went down with the megaphone or maybe not. Maybe he passed it down. Anyways, it ended up being Rocco Romeo who came over to, to lead a chant. And we just gave him a phone with a chant and then Rocco leads the chant. And cause, cause we hadn't prepared him to lead the chant and we hadn't prepared like, cause we didn't, again, we didn't want to make it overly, not that we didn't want to jinx things, but we, or, you know, to, how long it was going to take to get our first home win. But we, we didn't like overly prepare, like, hey, this is how we want this to play out. So we gave him the to chant on, I think it was, it was either my phone or Brendan's phone. And we gave him the megaphone. He goes to lead the chant. And so, of course, Rocco leads the, he doesn't know the chant. So he just leads it in whatever way he knows, whatever way he knows. So he actually leads the chant in a different way than we usually typically sing it. And so it just became a thing of like, okay, that's how, I guess the, for this year anyways, or for, for who knows how long, that's going to be how the, the post-match celebration chant's going to go. And then near the end of the year, we actually started incorporating that into the the way we do the chant. So we do the way, we do that chant the way we do it. And then we would add like the Rocco way to how, how we, how we did it. 
and just, and just became a thing. And then, of course, I think the next time we won or at some point in the season, Rocco makes the comment of like, I want my mic back. Like, I want the megaphone back or whatever. And then mm. uh, Andrew or Adrian or both of them, they, then they made the, the you know, just the railing banner of Rocco with the megaphone saying, I want my mic back or whatever. So it just became a little bit of a thing within within our community of um yeah just a just a fun a fun little thing and so no i like i said the connection between players and and the the fans the supporters is incredibly incredibly important um and uh just really excited to see how uh open and how um passionate the players were about that uh, one of the things which um, I don't know if we shared this. Thing. I think we did. Yeah, we think we shared some pictures or whatever. But uh, one of our one of the first away gatherings, maybe second or third away gatherings after the Pacific game, we were at uh, the pub in Brookswood, um, BBC Brookswood Brewing Company, and um, uh, the stewards of our club knew we were there, and so they just sent over like a bunch of the players who were injured or couldn't travel or whatever. And so like I don't know, like five of them came and hung out. And it was really great to just watch the game with them, which for sure for them was probably a little bit painful to be watching the game and, you know, having people ask some questions or whatever. But mm. at, half time, at halftime and after, I got to talk to them. So I got to, that was like the time where I got to hear a little bit more of like Gabby Bittar's story because he was injured at the time. And um, and uh, Amir Kanani, I got to hear a little bit of a little bit from him. And there was a few other guys who were there. Um, but, yeah, it was just, yeah, just that connection, like just – that the post-match celebration the way that they were in, com- in the community the some of the preseason events that the club hosted where they had players mingling with the fans was just really really helpful for people to build these connections to the players and and it's difficult in in a, a league like a cpl that is a is in one sense a developmental league uh, because players are not going to stay at clubs for years. Like, there's not going to be too many, you know, your boy Kyle Becker there. There's not going to be too many Kyle Beckers that are at a club for five years, right? That's going to be more mm. the exception, I think, than the norm in general. For sure. But still, even knowing that, uh, just seeing some of those connections, um, dare I say, forged or built, um, <laughs> was 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 pretty was pretty special. And yeah, I was really happy that. Um, there was a, a post a post match celebration was a part of that and um that yeah people got on board there's that awkward thing though where now the the kids come on the field and stuff and so there was okay how do we make this work and i don't know what i don't know what next year is going to look like but um i think for this year it was really it was really great to be able to have both those things the 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 players celebrating with the supporters and also these kids and their families on the field with the players meeting them taking pictures getting autographs hanging out and yeah that that really that I mean, when you're a kid and you and you have this experience with a player, I think that makes you want to be a, a a fan or a supporter for for life or whatever. And so, um, again, just really excited about how a number of those things came off, and the post match celebration was a significant part of it. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the the best times I think I I could have seen from Vancouver C throughout the season up until really the end of the season there was that really good end of the season run from Vancouver FC where going into the playoffs even though they were already out they were pretty much the second most informed team in the last five games what does that for you as a fan mean for the potential of the squad what is that sort of does that fill you with hope and expectation uh for the squad and the direction that this team is going 
Yeah, I think I think it was a great way to end the year. Uh, I can't remember was it three or three or four games left in, in, when we were officially eliminated from the playoffs, so it wasn't right to the very end. I think it was also really significant, uh, Felipe, that we didn't finish rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I know that's not saying a lot. You're like, oh, you so you were seventh out of eight instead of eight out of eight. Maybe some people are like, oh, that's not a big deal. But actually, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for the club. It was a big deal for for the players, even to be like, "Yeah, okay, this was a rough year. We learned a lot, um, and we didn't. We weren't the worst." And I, I don't say that in any kind of disparaging way towards Valor, but um, it was that was really significant. So yeah, ending the year where we did in in such a good such good form, it was a little disappointing actually to not win that last game. Um, hmm. Because uh, I think everyone felt like we're in we're in good form. We can we can we can take York. We should take York. We I mean we got our first league win against them, uh, you know, in an away match, and so I think we were really excited. And yeah, it would have been nice to beat York, especially because of how we went out at the Voyagers Cup against them with no VAR and a and a and a, a simulated penalty. Um, if I can say, right, if, I can say yeah. if I can say it that way, um, but uh, no, I think yeah, it does give you hope for. It does give you hope for 2024 and how hopefully we can start the year. The biggest thing, obviously, will be what does uh, what do the stewards of our club and what does Afshin, you know, do in terms of re- rebuilding? Because, yeah, at least let's say roughly half the squad's gone or going to be gone, and so there's significant opportunity to build a better squad. And uh, without going into all the details, I think you and I know very well that the, the squad construction was not what it could have been or what it should have been for 2023. And uh, I have um, a lot of confidence that it'll be much better uh, for, for 2024. Mm. So that, that, that actually that the, the potential for the rebuilding in this off season probably gives me even more hope than the, you know, the, the good run of form at the end of the season, but the run of form at the end of the year was probably more important for just not for people like me, but more for like just the uh, new fans or, or people who were just discovering them at the end of the year, or people just came, you know, to that even to the last game or whatever. Um, I think the, um, knowing that they were in good form at the end of the year was was probably more helpful for them in terms of yeah season ticket renewals or new season tickets and that 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 kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I because I I do have a lot of hope that uh, that the squad that we construct for twenty twenty four will be. Uh, a significant improvement and obviously we can have a conversation once we know what that looks like and and see if they've actually uh, done done the job um but no yeah lots of lots of hope for for the new season and talking about next season you already mentioned a few things there what you're hoping to see both on and off the pitch but what are your expectations for the team, both on the club side and from the actual team on the pitch side for 2024 as a fan? I think in 2023, there was a lot of limitations uh, on the stewards of the club due to this the stadium. And so I, I don't know how, how many or how significant the progress or the upgrades in terms of the stadium. I don't know what they'll all be yet. Uh, I've asked a little bit. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what what happens in these these few months. But I think having the experience of of a season kind of under their belt, I think off the field, I think we just want to. I think everyone just wants to grow the club, right? That means more people who call it their club, more people who come to matches, more people who have season tickets, um, more people who are you know emotionally 
invested in you know how and how the team does um for for, for as someone a part of the the fanatics yeah we we want to we want to grow we want to grow that as well we want to uh we want to keep uh adding people to to our section we want to continue to create displays and add to our songbook and all those kinds all those kinds of things on the field yeah i think the the bar will always be in a in the kind of the north american setup will always be to make the playoffs i think um like i said for me that's not the be all end all that's i want that obviously but for me it's more that i would be if we didn't make the playoffs and yet everything was moving in a, in a good direction off the field and even with the squad i would be happy but having said that i think if we do take those steps i think we will make the playoffs because the the uh to make those steps it's, it's not necessarily that not that huge of a leap right if you improve a little bit i think we can make if it's who knows maybe the format will even change but if it's top five again i think we can make top five with even uh kind of um medium level improvement to the squad mm-hmm. um but ultimately we'd love to be in the playoffs love to be fighting for um the north star shield in the playoffs but also or sorry north star cup in the playoffs and then yep. the what's, what's the shield one called now north star shield it's a north, north star shield okay so north star shield is for the league and the north star cup star is the, cup is for uh, the, for the uh, playoffs. Okay. there you go so it would be nice to go for both you know, to be battling for both the, the shield and the cup. Obviously, for me, I would prefer the the shield because that to me is shows who's the actual most dominant team. I really loved Tommy Wilden and how he talked about it. I'm no despair. I'm not again. I'm not trying to disparage your your forge, but uh, I really I really like how he talked about it in in the lead up to the cup final this year, where he's just like, look, we we're the best team in the country. We we won the shield. Uh, we'd love to add the cup as kind of the the cherry on top, and we know that the culture here views this differently, but this is what football culture. Um, this is how football culture views this, and so yeah, I, the shield would be the primary thing, and the cup would be secondary. And then obviously, uh, the Voyagers Cup. Um, that's that's a that's a dream, you know. Um, it's been great to see teams like uh, Cavalry and Pacific, um, and even I think Hal- Halifax. Did Halifax get a no? Did Halifax beat Montreal in a like not a match, not a not a series, but in a match? I can't. Uh... I don't. I can't remember that. I think, but yeah. maybe they maybe they tied them. Anyways, it would be it would be great to get some results against uh, in the cup. Uh, again, last year was very very frustrating in the cup. Um, uh, it would have it would have been nice. It would have been fun to play TSS last year in the cup. I think, but oh, that would have been some matchup. But in some ways, it would have been difficult because we have cross pollination in the supporters communities there. So that maybe not would mm. not have been as fun. Um, true, true, true. Um, you don't want, yeah. Wouldn't want to make people to choose a side in, in a, in a, in a case like that. But um, no, yeah, I would be, it would be great to go on a cup run in the, in the Voyager's cup. And then, you know, obviously uh, when you think about locally, the Voyager's cup, you know, obviously the reigning champions are on the other side of the river. Um, or sorry, two-time reigning champions are on the other side of the river. Uh, one of the things that I think Pacific benefited from in in kind of the battling for supremacy in British Columbia was they didn't actually play the play the Whitecaps in those first couple of years. It wasn't until I think the third year where they played them in the Voyagers Cup, if I'm correct. Yes, I believe so. And, and then the, and then they beat them right. The, then that first that first time. 
And yeah. so, um, depending on how much our squad improves, it, I, I might be okay if we have avoided the Whitecaps until our squad was at a at a level like Pacific's was in that third year. Um, yeah. But um, but no, obviously, w- one day I think you long to play your closest geographic rivals and outdo them in the stands and outdo them on the pitch and um and move move on past them into the next round so i think that's uh, i mean that that would be whether the game was at bc place or was that you know in langley i think those kind of games would be kind of pretty pretty special yeah no for sure and uh last question here to sort of close out you know, as somebody who is a part of the Fraser Valley Fanatics and you've been a part of many supporters groups, what would you say to people who want to go to games, not just as a supporter, but want to go that little extra step further and be part of a supporters group, but are unsure what makes being part of a supporters group so special, especially for a new founded club like Vancouver FC? Yeah, I think... It's it's like I said before. It's about relationship. It's about community. I mean, when I, I, I you and I have never talked about this, but like so, when I, 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 I fell in love with football because my friends were my friends growing up were into football, hmm. and so that's how that's how I got into it. One was Italian, one was Portuguese, um, another was um, a German, and um, but it wasn't Felipe until I went to a game in Europe. So in two thousand three, I went to four games in Europe and and I experienced the atmosphere in the stadiums <laughs> and I was like oh this like I was, I was basically flew by I was like this this needs to happen or, or, like I, I want this to happen in Canada I know it's sort of happening and I said I could sit back and like hope that it happens by osmosis or just keeps on going on the tra- trajectory it's on or I can get involved and so I just I said okay I need to try and get involved and help help it continue to grow or make it grow or whatever, and so I went to the lo- my local club at the time, and the most significant thing was you know going to the to the grass in the south side of of Swangard Stadium with my wife going there was that someone came up to me a guy named Naz Catania and his wife Minna they came up to my wife and I and like welcomed us into the community. And like made us feel comfortable and um, like kind of cared for us and are still really good friends. And so really like, yeah, become lifelong friends. Um, We got Mm -hmm. to hang out with them in Doha last year. And um, yeah, they, they love our kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, So for me, it's, it's all about relationship and, 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 and community. And so for some people it's like, we're all a part of different communities, right? We're a part of our office community. We're part of, uh, maybe we volunteer somewhere. Um, maybe we're a part of a religious community, whatever. We're a part of these communities. Um, and some people, they, they'd be happy to be a part of a, a sports community, right? Or maybe they are already with their kids or, or themselves or whatever, but that's what it's like. And then for some people, it, it becomes even more than that. It's more than just, Hey, I see you on the weekend at the games. It becomes this, Hey, like, let's do stuff together outside of that. And for some people that's like, Hey, let's just watch sports together or let's go have a barbecue together or whatever. And then for some people it becomes like, yeah, let's make these, let's, let's like make stuff for our club. Let's make these banners and displays and all these other kinds of things. And it kind of becomes a even more significant community. But if someone 
you know, people listening to this coast to coast, right? Because that's the name of the mm-hmm. show, right? So wherever you are, if, if you're in one of these communities where there's a Canadian Premier League club, yeah, I encourage you to to go to the stadium uh, and connect. And if you want to, like all the all the communities, all the supportive communities across the country are really accessible, both online and in person. Um, or yeah, just go to a state, go to your local stadium and observe and watch and see where where you want to fit in, where you want to be involved. Because I know all of the all the supporters too. They all they're all like support the supporters world. It's kind of like I sometimes I think about it like ice cream, like Baskin Robbins, right? There's all these different kinds of flavors, and so mm. you you kind of got to maybe find where what's your flavor and get involved in kind of in kind of that. And so uh, like you know you think about like uh, the kitchen or whatever, right? In Halifax, there's a couple different flavors even within the kitchen, right? So if you went to Halifax, you're like, hey, where to fit? Go and observe and meet people. Maybe you won't have a Naz who comes up to you and welcomes you in. Maybe you need to go and and you know introduce yourself to you know the you know if you're in Halifax, the I don't know the James Coveys of the world or whatever, um, yeah. uh, or Kyle Christensen if you if you know who that is, um, and um, and uh, but yeah, like these are just these are places that in general are, are people that they want you to, they want you to like all of all the supporters communities in the CPL, they want more people. Right. Um, and so they're, they're all generally, I think fairly welcoming places um, both in online and in person. So um, but yeah, go and so like, if that's the other thing is I know across the country, there's all these debates right now, Felipe about, you know, how should the game grow and what should happen and what should that look like? Like, but I would just encourage people to go out and support our our Canadian professional league. Like it needs the support, and it, that everything we do, I think, to get there helps the game grow in this country. So the more people that go to these games, it help helps things grow. The more people that will go to Project Eight when that when that um, is supposed to kick off in a year and a half or whatever, or two years or whatever it is, yeah, year and a half. Um, that, you know, that helps the game grow. People going to the national teams game, that helps it grow. People going to, you know, Christine Sinclair's, uh, you know, farewell game in, here in BC in a few, you know, whatever it is, December 5th, that helps the game, the game grow. So I think we just need to like continue to engage. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I really, I really think if you, if you go to a game and you observe, you'll, you'll find a place to fit in. Or if you want to dive in headfirst and you go to your local stadium and you go into the supporter section, I think you'll find people who are generally very welcoming and would love for you to be involved in what they're doing. And it's also like, in most cases, like if you, there's ways that you can be involved, right? So if you're gifted or you're in talented ways, most of the supporter communities, like if you're like, hey, I'm gifted in this way, they'd love for you to use your gifts or your talents or your time or your energy to help make you know, help be a, be a part of what they're doing, right? Or maybe do something new with what they're doing that that they don't have someone who's gifted or talented in that way. Um, that's been one of the cool things over these years is like you come across people and you're like, someone's like, hey, I, I do this thing. And you're just like, hey, none of us do that thing. Can you do that thing for us? Or hmm. or even sometimes there are cases of like, hey, we've been trying, we, we do that thing, but we don't have an expert doing it. And you're an expert. Could you do that thing for, for us? And it's like, yeah, of course, I'd love to. I'm, I'm good at it. I love it. And then you just get people like using their gifts and talents. And then it's like, there's this real great synergy, right? Now, sometimes you can have too many people who do the, do, you know, do a certain thing. And then you have to like, okay, what does that look like? Uh, how do we use all these talents or whatever? But, um, 
no, it's it's a really it's a really beautiful thing of of seeing everyone kind of work together, and that's been one of the fun things for the fanatics this year is just seeing people who are using their their gifts and talents to create stuff. Like there's, I mean, early on in the year, I was just like uh, a couple of our people, uh, a few of our people just got really passionate and started making railing banners like in their garage, like, and oh, so wow. that we come, I'd come, I'd come, like, oh, this is what I made this week, and it's like, oh. There's a new railing banner, like the the Rocco one I mentioned, or the the Starboy, um, the Starboy one for um, TJ, right? And like, right. there was, and then the, the watch one with um, Sean, Sean, Sean Hundal, and like at the end of the year, it just felt like every game there was like new railing banners of, and then people were just making in their garages, and it was like, yeah, this is sweet, you know. So, um, yeah, it, if you if you want to be involved or you want to connect these are places that you can connect in that long for you to become a part of their community. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, that was wonderfully put. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time of your day to come and talk to us about what it's like to be a, a fan of Vancouver FC and hopefully two more successes in 2024. Yeah. And thanks to you, Felipe. Uh, thanks for, I know you, you were a part of uh, many of the games this year. You're coming out and I know that the club appreciates uh, you and people like you who come out and uh, share what's going on and um, bring your journalistic expertise um, to expressing that to the world. And so, yeah, and uh, on a personal level and and on behalf of the fanatics and, the, and all these people who do all this kind of hard work, thanks for, you know, even just when you like tweet out like, oh, they did this visual thing or they're singing this thing or that celebration's happening or we just, yeah, we're greatly, greatly uh, appreciative for people like you who are sharing um, or giving glimpses into what's going on and what it all looks like. So, yeah, know know that you're appreciated as well from us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's with all the joy I can. So that was Zach from the Fraser Valley Fanatics giving us a little insight of what it was like to be a supporter from a supporters group and building a supporters group from scratch and being able to mold what it is to be a supporter for this brand new club, a unique experience. And mm -hmm. I really like how he sort of downplayed the fact that it wasn't, you know, it was mostly just about wanting to connect with people and making these connections with different people and being able to share and the love for, for sports. And, you know, the fact that he has been talking with Rob about making this since 2017 goes to, mm -hmm. to show how dedicated he is to the sport. But one thing I really enjoyed was for him talking about the visual aspects of a supporters group, having these TIFOs and thing, and you being from, from England where football is a, you know, a, a much bigger deal, I would say uh, <laughs> than in, in Canada. Is that something that you've seen with supporters groups sort of recently over the years of having more visual mediums to supporting, not just the, the usual chance and stuff like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you see like growing up, like, I mean, looking across to Germany, you got that yellow wall at Dortmund and then you come out of other countries and it's so striking and you remember the club from that. Um, I think that's key for the league growing up. It's great. It grabs people's attention when you see those things and it will now get shared around social media and things like that. It's an extra, it's an extra bit that from a marketing standpoint are great for the club when they see their fans getting involved and in doing that. I think that's something you can really run away with, but in the stadium for those fans, it's, it's, it's such a great way of just all getting together and enjoying something. This is, 
we'll talk about the how you like in football everyone know like the chance from the crowd the way people maybe jeering the goalie as he's going to take a goal kick and things like that these things get to build up a bit of momentum amongst you as a group but when you've got those sort of visual things as well that people can take part in as well it's, it's an extra part that really just elevates that experience for everyone i think yeah it's it's uh it's definitely something for me that's that's new that I've only seen in the last few years, but I really enjoy it. And I mean, with Vancouver FC, uh, I loved the Welcome to the Dark Side Tifo that they put on. I think it was at their first home game, and with a dark uh, you know Darth Afshin uh, Tifo <laughs> as well. And the first game at uh, at Pacific, the very first game, they had a Sweet Dreams one uh mm. as like a little spin-off of the song from the arithmetics and i love how zach talked about that night and talked about you know the connection with the players that he had the fact that they were loud enough that many aparicio wanted to shush them and so <laughs> yeah. while that wasn't a great feeling the fact that they were loud enough that he wanted to is great yeah. and just the connection that you know they form with the players and uh you know that story of of rocco uh, after the forge win is a a great you know just little memory both for the fans and even for the players and for the history of the club the fact that they had they now have a new chant that didn't yeah. exist before <laughs> a new way to sing a chant um when when because Rocco it wasn't planned or anything and he just made it up on the spot and now it's become a thing and you know little quotes here and there show up on banners and this is how you start to form a culture this is how you start to form some history so it was it was great to talk uh about that with with the connection to the players and also i was curious to see what you think the when he was talking about you know the the stadium wanting to mm. uh, maybe improve the stadium a bit how the issue at times with supporting them wasn't necessarily because uh, of the results though obviously that takes it its, its own toll but rather of the conditions there was a few very hot nights okay. uh or days rather uh at uh the at langley uh where even myself under the a little tarp which was the media box <laughs> was feeling i can only imagine the people that were in full broad daylight how they were doing uh, what were your thoughts on maybe again with knowing how it is in England and that culture there, mm. the fact that sometimes even something as not insignificant, but maybe it's not as consequential as people think as a roof can mm. impact how fans experiences are at the stadium. Yeah. I think it's, it's in, in, uh, Steph brought it up as well. Didn't she? Obviously the fact that in those seats, yeah, it may look empty on television at times, but when you are under that burning heat and you've got the opportunity to move around and watch the game from different areas and do other activities you're going to. So it, it, that makes it really difficult for those supporters who want to be there in that supporters group backing the team. And like you say, how important that is that they've built that connection. They're a brand new club. They need that connection on the on the pitch. You know that they're the first people that the the players are going to like applause at the end of the game thank them for their support because they're there they're doing it for the 90 minutes and they're trying to be that 12th man which we've talked about Halifax having um throughout the year they need to be able to physically do it when you're bur like burning hot sunshine hitting you throughout 
like before the game and throughout or it's pouring down with rain it's it can be very difficult for them to like keep themselves going throughout and not just think oh god i just got to protect myself for 10 minutes i just need to go and get under the shelter for a little bit and then you because you can lose some of that energy and when the supporters groups i mean like you said he's, he's been speaking with rob since 2017 they're, they're lined up with what the club seems to want to be as well and if you've got the supporters group on on side and they're in you're doing it as a club um together i mean we've there's obviously plenty of um bad uh stories of sort of smaller supporters groups and huge teams around the world who have are not aligned with what the club wants these guys are it seems and you want to give them the best opportunity and i know that I think Vancouver FC would love to be able to give them a roof and do that, but it's not taken out of their hands to a degree, isn't it? Yeah, Steph mentioned it and Zach mentions how it's more to do with the city of Langley rather than with the with the club. And I'm sure the club, I mean, in the original plans, Steph mentioned as well, they had a roof. So mm. obviously the the plan did not go uh accordingly but you know uh, both for the club and for the fans they have to adapt and overcome and the fact that these still had a healthy amount of people there singing loudly through the 90 minutes and you know with zach leading some chance and other players uh, other people leading some chance even some players leading some chance uh it just forms that culture that was really really good and hearing about what his expectations are for next year you know, obviously off the pitch, it's about growing uh, the fan base and having more people in the stadium. But on the pitch, you know, he, he genuinely believes that the team is, you know, with some improvements in, in the in the defense, the midfield, obviously. I, he thinks that without drastic improvements, even with just some minor improvements, the team is good enough to to make the playoffs and he wants to see a little bit of a magical run in the, in the Voyager's cup. Do you think the Vancouver FC have that potential for next season? Or is that more of his own personal Vancouver FC bias showing through? I think, I mean, I think from what the club did in the um, summer with the, the changes they've made, that's what spurred him on. I think he's seen that the club has made these changes. They've understood what they've done wrong. And he's quite right to, I mean, he's well within his rights to get excited about where that's going. And I think from the outside looking in with no like no bias towards the club at all and not as a supporter, you, you look at what they've done and they have improved that squad and they have improved the way they've played and they're improving on the pitch um, throughout the season. So you, I'd be quite excited with what they're going to do uh, over this off-season leading into 2024. And I think those people, those people have been there week in, week out in that supporters group. They know that and they must, they're all getting that bit of a buzz. And I think hopefully they can pass that on because it's great if you can reach the young people, but they're going to be moving around the stadium like, like Steph said and doing some of the other days, grabbing a bite to eat and probably only watching about half the game, um, but slowly building their interest. You want to try and get some more people in these supporters groups and people who are going to be there because I mean, players love having that loud vocal support behind them. It spurs them on. Um, it makes it the more players, the more fans you get in there, the more. I mean, I don't want to sound. It's probably not the right word, but it makes it feel even more professional. I'm not sure what the right wording is, but it's building up. It becomes a bigger deal for them, and it's it's like it it makes it feel less like oh, this is a league building, which it is. 
but it is building to something and you can see where it's going. Um, and that's what you need with these the fans getting into the stadium regularly and hopefully you can uh, they'll get some good uh, some good times next season to help keep it going and keep it growing. Yeah, I'll be definitely there amongst the <laughs> yeah. the onlookers to see what this team is capable of in 2024. But that is all for this special a look into episode on Vancouver FC. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something new, got some new insights on what it was like to build, support, and grow a completely new club in the CPL. Make sure you follow us once again on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you can give us your thoughts on this week's episode. What was your favorite part? Who was your favorite interview? What did you learn? What did you might already know that maybe you got a different look into through this episode? And uh, yeah, let us know. Tweet, us, tweet at us or leave us some comments and we might give you a shout out on the next show. But until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC. Signing out.